And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100% And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big Sean Hello to everyone. Again, we are back. It is the real punk with Detroit Boxing Company. Josh Thompson ready to answer all of the questions that everyone wants to know about the world of combat sports. We have an exciting show. We got some things to talk about. And we have a whole lot of the UFC. What's coming up? A big time pay-per-view card. We're going to go over that. And we got a surprise guest for you. So Josh Thompson. What is going on, Mr. Detroit? I know, I know. I had some uh, some people send me over some Detroit boxing uh, company shirts, and I, I've got a box of a bunch of clothing that people keep sending us, so I'm actually super excited. I actually have two of these for you as well. I just got to see you, you know, here coming up in the new year after. I didn't get them until after we did our last show, so I was like, oh, man, they came like a day after I had left. But look, I want to get into some serious news real quick right off the bat because former fighter, someone that we, we both know as uh, Ian Co- uh, Coughlin. Coughlin, sorry, I'm stuttering. Okay, you're good. Um, look, he reached out to me as well as some people that um, that know him pretty well, and also he he's fought in Bellator before. We wanted just to let everyone understand that he was paralyzed during training, and um, he needs as much help as he possibly can. So there's a GoFundMe link down in the descriptions. If you guys can click that, donate whatever you can, not much, more the more obviously the better but if you can't donate much that's okay we understand but whatever helps so he's looking to try to hit that limb he's got a lot of medical bills he's trying to cover what he can and so right now they're at 37582 so if you guys can't hit that link down below in the descriptions for the gofundme for ian coughlin and we can try to get this i know i'm just trying to get as much we can try to get as much money raised for him it's a good cause and like i said somebody that we have seen fight. He's part of the family, the MMA community. This is something that I think a lot of fighters and just people need to understand as a community and MMA community, we need to stick together. And this is one of those situations that will be very helpful. And we want to thank you guys for everyone that does donate and contributes to this. So the, Go- the GoFundMe page is down below in the descriptions. We want to thank you guys. All right. We are lucky enough to be in the presence of a guy who has done it all, been there champion in multiple divisions the underground king the man the myth the absolute legend eddie alvarez how are you doing brother that's a hell of a looking background right there i'm getting a little jealous <laughs> how you guys doing thank you guys for having me on man i'm excited uh, we had uh sean brady on last week and he was like oh man eddie's a freaking legend in philly and i was like you know what we got to reach out to eddie and be like yo we've got to get you on the show man we're always <laughs> chatting a little bit back and forth on Twitter, and I was like, man, let me get your number, and you're like, yeah, here you go. And then John actually did the the reach out, and I was like, all right, cool. This worked out perfectly. So I'm glad you came on. You know, it's been it's been a long time. We've, we've crossed paths several times in terms of, you know, different promotions and stuff, but it's fine to finally get to t- sit down and talk with you, brother. Yeah, man. And, uh, yeah, Sean's doing a hell of a job, man. I, I, uh, I reached out to Dana a little bit ago, and I was like, hey, here's a guy, and um, – Unless, you know, he's going to win. So if you, whoever you put in front of, he's going to find a way to win. If you don't want him to do that, then don't sign him. I'm yeah. like, but that's what he's going to do. <laughs> that's what he's going to do. Yeah. So he's, he's been kicking ass and taking names. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really happy for him. That's awesome. Awesome. And he's a good guy. Seems like a really down to earth guy, but I have a question. 
I asked him the same question. What are they doing in Philly high schools where y'all are built the same? You got like the sh- big shoulders, the bowed <laughs> back with all the muscles in the back. I'm like, it's the Eddie Alvarez body frame that they just decided to mimic. And all of a sudden now all these guys from Philly are built like you, bro. What's going on? <laughs> well, this shot, like uh, we all go to the same strength conditioning coach. I, uh, <laughs> I, 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 start, I started with Rich Poehler. Um, Rich Poehler was in a physical therapy place. Never did a shred of MMA, anything like that, about 12 years ago. <laughs> Down goes Alvarez. Down goes <laughs> Alvarez for at least his iPod. Yeah. Uh, AirPod. Earbuds. <laughs> All right, I think I'm in. So um, I started with a, with a guy named Rich Poehler, and that, I, that was my base. That was my foundation. Three times a week with Rich, did my strength and conditioning. He got me started for the, the dream tournaments when it was 10-minute long rounds. And we learned together. He didn't really know what he was doing, and neither did I. Yeah. And we kind of learned the sport together. And once we built that foundation, that was kind of set. And that's where basically all the Philly fighters went to Rich to prepare for their fights because it was like a proven, tested strategy to kind of get ready for fights. One of the things we talked about with Sean, and other than the body type, which Josh is always looking at other men's bodies, so it's it's understandable that he brings that up. Secure with my manhood, okay, brother. But... Don't, don't shame me. Don't try to shame me. It's all good. No, I'm secure with my it's manhood. All good. Don't shame it's me, all bro. Good. But one of the things, look, you were always, if you were going to look into the Philadelphia area, there was one guy. It was you. And you've got to be kind of proud that, you know, being the guy that, you know, blazed the trail, you've got a bunch of guys now out of Philly that are doing really well. And I know that most of the guys that, that you know you know and you've been around some of them and stuff. Does that make you feel kind of good that they're all following the path that you ended up blazing? Hell yeah, man! And I see that in other areas too. You know, you see see it in other countries. You know, uh, once one guy does it, it becomes believable, and then the other guys follow. Like look at look at uh, uh, all the Nigerians are kind of champions now. You know, one guy becomes it, and then they all go. Um, you got all the Dagestanians. One guy does it. All, all the, all them believe it now, and then they decide to kind of move forward. And it, it happens in camps as well. Josh been in AKA. One guy lights the fire, and then the other guys see it's believable, and they all start becoming champions. So, like, um, you know, to be to be one of the first guys to make it believable for the other young guys. Hell yeah, I'm all for it, man. And I'm all for Philly sports. Um, the fighting, I, I, my first fight was uh, December of 2003, and it was in a basketball gym in front of like 75 people, <laughs> and uh, it was for it was for Ring of Combat, and I fought against Matt Sarah's guy. Uh, I fought against Matt Sarah. He was he was training the other guy, so this was not a sport. Um, it was a dead end to me, but I enjoyed to fight. There was, I paid, I think I was in the hole about 250 bucks. I I paid for my medicals, (laughs) but I only made like, I only made like 200 bucks in ticket sales. So I paid 250 bucks to to fight my first fight. So I didn't really see it as, as a career. And uh, just to see where it's come today and to see the, 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 the fans and the audience and how large it is. um, The whole world watches MMA now, the whole world. So, when you're talking about like, give us some more stories about like your first fight. What was your second fight like in your third fight? Like we, I have stories too of fighting on the fairgrounds, like with, like you said, in front of a hundred people, maybe at the max, wondering if you're going to get paid, you know, they'll short you the 200 bucks that they said they're going to pay you. Like, what was your second and third fight like? 
Uh, second fight, my opponent dropped out, and uh, but I don't. A lot of people don't notice. I fought it. I I uh, did concrete work all all throughout my first like eight fights. I was a concrete uh, finisher. So Explain your back. Work. That's why your back's so damn muscular. Yeah, and <laughs> and um, <laughs> so I would do. I would finish during the day, and then I get done, and I would train at night. Um, and, uh, so I did that. And then what my second fight, I weighed in at 170. That's what it was. I fought at welterweight. So I didn't have the time to cut weight and things like that. I had a full-time job. So whatever I weighed, I promised myself, you're not going to cut weight, whatever you weigh, that's what you do. So I weighed about 167. So I would step on a scout 167 and then I would fight at 170 all the time. So my second opponent dropped out. So uh, they're like, the only thing we got is this guy who's 185. I'm like, done. Because I, I already sold a bunch yeah. of tickets. Um, and I was just watching this film the other day. My first, my second, my third, and fourth fight. And we were freaking out because it's so like, uh, man, 2003, 2004 MMA, like yeah. in a in a basketball gym with bleachers. <laughs> There's not like, where's the commission at? Where's the, there was no amateur circuit, right? No, it's nothing. You were, you just fought pro. So I fought at 185 and I weighed in at 167 and I I probably made like, you know, 300 bucks or or something like that. But you know, one of the things uh, that was talked about all the time with you though, when you were coming up, your first fights were with, I think ring of combat, right? With Vinny Naglia. And then it was Lou, yeah, Lou, Lou Naglia. I'm sorry, Lou Naglia. I say Vinny yeah. because I had a partner named Vinny Naglia in LAPD, so I keep on screwing that up. <clears throat> Reality Fighting was another one. Then you had uh, even Boat. Well, no, Show XC, I believe. They all talked about Eddie Alvarez brings butts. Eddie Alvarez will, he'll say, I'll tell you what, I will fight. You don't have to pay me. I get half the ticket sales that I bring. And you would do that yeah. saying, I don't care what you pay me. I get half of my ticket sales. And I thought it was brilliant back at the time. In fact, I used it with guys out of my gym because I was like, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter if they don't want to pay you. If you go out and you bust your butt and you sell tickets and you put butts in the seats, they have to say okay in the end because you're, you're, you're filling up their place. You're making it great. And you ended up being the guy everyone wanted on their card because you put those butts in the seat. Yeah, and I tell younger fighters that I think a lot of younger fighters are like, I want to make it to the UFC. I want to make it, and I feel like, I feel like you have to make a splash in a small area and kind of own that area, and then make the crowd and and the noise so loud that the larger promotions actually hear it, and then you add value to that larger promotion in that small area. So when they do come to Philadelphia, Atlantic City, or to that territory that you dominate. Then they'll pay you. I mean, you don't have yeah. to fight for, you know, two thousand and two thousand. You don't have to fight for four thousand bucks. Um, you can actually have some sort of leverage because you're bringing a thousand people to a fight. But um, yeah. So the third fight, I was maybe bringing like two hundred people. Fourth fight, four hundred. Fifth fight, six hundred, eight hundred. Um, by the time by the time I did my last local event, I we did it here in Philadelphia, and I fought Roger Huerta at the Leacor Center. It was my only fight ever in Philadelphia. And out of my hand, um, we sold about a thousand twenty something tickets. 
and uh, and we sold 800 T-shirts to the event. And I and um on top of my purse, I yeah we negotiated uh, ticket sales as well. But uh, I always I always been a, a fan of dominating your territory, your small little territory, and let the noise of that of that kind of spread rather than let me make a big splash on a big stage right away and not add any value to the stage I, I go on, you know, where did you like, where was your first fight out into a big, big promotion? Was it elite? Where did you go to out right outside of your affiliate after the Roger were at the fight? Where did you go after that? <clears throat> nah, the Bodog. Cause you was it elite XC or it was Bodog? It was elite XC first, wasn't it? Then Bodog. What do you, what do you mean? Like what, what was I, when was I signed to like, a first big con like contract yeah your first big like contract what was that like if you don't mind me asking like how were the yeah. figures in terms of like you know you don't have to answer figures a lot more money no, I, I, said, lo- you know, I love talk- i love talking about money especially in the past like this was about like yeah um so uh i was i was doing concrete and then um i was still full-time doing concrete and then fighting kind of part part-time but but i was all in with the fighting thing and i, I seen a, a future to it at this point and um, I think I was making I was making about forty thousand bucks doing concrete a year, and it was when Bodog um, I fought for the Russians down Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. Bruce Buffer was my announcer down Atlantic City, and I have it on tape. Bruce is wearing a baggy, <laughs> shitty little suit, and he's announcing at a local event in um, Atlantic City. It was yeah. the first time I met Bruce, and um, he um, he announced. And we fought for uh, this guy, Vlad, Russian guy for MFC, who mm-hmm. was bought by Bodog. So then I, yeah. I, got a, I got a contract through Bodog, and Bodog said, okay, we're going to pay you $30,000 per fight every time you fight, and we're giving you a four-fight deal. And it was I, I ran to my wife upstairs, and I said, well, I'm done. I'm done doing concrete, and um, I'm, we're all in. This is what we're going to do. And I remember it to this day. I made I made a promise to the Lord. I said, if you give me an opportunity to just fight and not do concrete, I'm gonna put in eight hours a day. I'm gonna treat this like a job, and I'll never take it for granted. And I I, I never forgot that. So whenever I felt myself getting lazy or or complacent, I I would feel like a, um I wouldn't feel good. I would start feeling guilty about my promise that I made. So um. That that was kind of my very first big deal was uh, Bodog, the guy Calvin Air. Well, Calvin Ayers, yeah. I have a question though. Like that that fight, thirty thousand dollars. Everyone's looking at you now, going, "Guy, obviously we're making you were making a lot more money now." But back then, people don't get it. That was a lot of money, lot of money. per fight, per fight, and it was a flat fee. I'm assuming there was no wow. bonus. It was just like thirty. Here it is, and you fight, you win, and that's you know, like you put in your work, but knowing that that was happening like how many fights did you rattle off in that first year did you do all four in a year did you four like you try and bust out two or three it's like i i had no yeah i had no break when i when i was that young as many as i could do i I would do i had no qualms with fighting four or five times a year well i remember you actually you went to the tryouts for the ultimate fighter didn't i did john not a lot of people know that and they didn't take you and i told them I said, you guys made a fucking huge mistake. I said, that <laughs> dude is the fucking real deal. You screwed up. 
John, John's lying because you're on the show no, right now. No, I swear <laughs> to God. Ask Joe Silva. I swear to God. Oh, that's great. So they said oh. I was uh, – they actually flew me out to Vegas. Um, mm-hmm. I was flown out to Vegas. I, I was – I was painting my I was painting my son my soon to be uh, son's um, room. My wife was pregnant with my son, and um, I was painting the room, getting it ready. And I got a call from a random person and said, "He said, are you ready?" And I and I I didn't know who it was. I said, "Who who the fuck is this?" <laughs> and uh, he said, "It's Dana White." And I'm like, "What? I'm I'm painting the room." And uh, he says, "Dana White, are you ready to fight?" And I'm like, "Yeah." I'll, I'll fight. And, uh, and, uh, he goes, okay, well we need you in Vegas. Um, some stuff came up for the ultimate fighter show and we need you to fly out. And I like, I bugged out, had a long conversation with my wife and my, my wife's been a rider from the very beginning. Like she knew that this is what we were going to do. And she seen how committed I was and she, be- she believed in, in where I, where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And she was like, go, leave, like go. And I was, I was going to miss, I was going to miss my son, Eddie be born. I was going to be on that show for six weeks and not be able to, uh, Damn. to be able to, to be there for my son. So, um, I, I flew out there and, uh, luckily they never signed me. Yeah, I know. Cause I, cause that contract sucked. Yeah, oh, it did. <laughs> <laughs> So all, all the stuff that we talk about, how smart Eddie Alvarez, if you would have signed the contract, we'd have gone, yeah, but he wasn't really smart by signing that He wasn't really that, uh, that smart. Contract. No, I, was, I, was, I was young and um, just like a lot of guys are, and I, I wanted to show the world that I'm, that I'm number one, and that was the path to do it. But, I mean, I got to see, I got to see Eddie be born, and uh, I, I, never, I never had to miss, you know, miss one of my kids be what, born. What Ultimate oh. Fighter was that? The, was that Ultimate Fighter 1? This is the one with Diego Sanchez. Uh, was that yeah, one? Yeah, so or that two? was the fr- that was the very first one. Yeah, it was Costa. Wait, is Bobby that Melvin? Sal- is that Mel- Melvin? No, no, no. That was Diego? it. Was no. you? You were supposed to be on you on Ultimate Fighter two. Two. Oh, gotcha. Two. I think it was Mel. I think it was Melvin, and I was one seventy. I remember Dana saying, "You're you're really undersized for one seventy. I'm like, when I was nineteen, when I was that age, I mean, I nobody could convince me that anybody could beat me in a fight. Like I remember my, I remember my mind then my mind was like, I was so delusional. Like I was like, you don't, I would. As is every 19 year old. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, you don't understand. No one can beat me in a fight. I would argue tooth and nail. I just, and then when I started fighting, I, I just, no one, I went like 10 and 0 or, and I knocked everyone out, and I'm like, "See, I told you so." No one could. No one could. <laughs> and, then, and then I took. Then I took my first loss, and I, you know, it was that I seen, you know, it was that uh, moment of reality for me. But yeah, at at that young age, man, I, no one could tell me that I wouldn't kill anyone. You know what's funny, John, is that Ultimate Fighter, whatever Ultimate Fighter it was with Gabe Rudiger. Remember when he didn't make weight? Oh, yeah. He was getting colonics to try and make weight. Yep. That that show, you went from, oh, you're a little small to be 170, right? But then a, a couple of shows later, they're like not allowing anybody on the show that was that was oversized. No, no, because if you don't make weight, it fucks everything up. So they did a, he did a quick 360 on that whole situation. Oh, yeah. Or a 180, I mean. Like, it just, yeah, nuts. Um, So in terms of now we know what you were kind of getting paid when you're coming up and fighting in front of 100 people, you know, and getting, you know, selling tickets like a madman. 
Um, what was your training like though? I mean, other than the fact that like you had to go at night or you had to, you had to go just train only at night cause you were doing concrete all day. What were you doing in terms of your, <laughs> what were you doing in terms of I your, <laughs> bro, we got cauliflower. What are you doing with earbuds, brother? Come oh, on, man. God. No, I don't have it. I wish I had it. Why I do you wish it. you had it? I don't, because then the, then these things would stay in. <laughs> <laughs> so then, um, then what was your training like? So at night you'd go, what hit mitts, grapple a little bit, wrestle a little bit. I mean, cause you got, you got some pretty good wrestling. Obviously you got great boxing. But what was your training like? How do you cram that all in? Because that, that's kind of what I did, but a lot of people are trying to figure out how did you work your schedule at night? Because I worked a day job from 6 in the morning until about 3 in the afternoon. I'm sure you were working those long hours as well. But what was your training like at night? Yeah, my, my first four years uh, when, I, when I was fighting and doing concrete were straight. I mean, I was falling asleep at the wheel, dally, like on my way to work, just dozing off. I doze off at green, red lights, like as I'm staying there at the light. I was, I was running on, I was running on fumes for a while. So I would, I would wake up, I would do the concrete work, but I was like so driven about fighting, like mega driven. Like it was like, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And like, I, I'm not lying. I didn't think anyone in the world could beat me. And I wanted to show everyone, like, I'm the, I'm the best. No one, no one could beat me at this and they're going to pay me. So, mm -hmm. um, but I would often leave doing concrete, go to the boxing gym. That was usually open around three, four o'clock. And then from the boxing gym, I would go to fight factory and it, fight factory was like a 1500 square foot mat where I met with Stephen Haig, Zach Makovsky, uh, Will Martinez, guys who, Sammy Ortiz, the guys who end up fighting on bigger circuits and become, we just kind of were all friends and trained together. We watched instructional tapes. Um, so we learned like from other instructional tapes, like, you know, Frank Shamrock's tapes and Ken Shamrock's tapes and Marcelo Garcia's, any instructional we can get our hands on, we'd be watching it. And any seminar that even came within a, within a you know a hundred mile radius we were driving to it to find out like um what what's the new stuff out and things like that we were just crazy about fighting that small group of us well we, you got to a certain point where you were in bodog you that would you suffered your first loss against nick thompson in bodog i know and then you had yeah. another fight there but then you moved on to dream and dream you were you were actually fighting in dream one and then you entered that tournament uh, was the tournament starting at Dream One, or did that actually start at Dream Two or Three, something like that? Um, no, I think the I think the tournament might have. I think you're right. I think it might have been three. What, and what was, been three. was your first opponent in that tournament, Joachim Hansen? No, he's my second. My first was Andre Dida. Okay, Andre Dida. That's right. Yeah. He was Dream um, One, John. Dream so one. Dream One, okay. Coach. Yeah. So Dream, Dream One was the start of okay. that tournament. Okay, yeah. So I remember being on my couch, and uh, Monty Cox convinced me. Uh, my, my everybody back in the day knows who Monty Cox is. He was one of the yep. bigger names in the sport. He, he uh, managed Matt Hughes and and some of the oh my god, some he, of the guys. Hold on. From, Pat Militich, Matt Hughes, Rich yep. Franklin, Tim Sylvia, Sean Shirk, all the guys that were Jens Pulver, all the guys that were UFC champions yeah. at one time. So I made it my self managed. I'm making 30 grand to fight and I'm thinking, man, I can manage myself. I can do. 
And uh, I sat down and had a conversation with Monty, and Monty was like, I never met a fighter who could do better than me. So if I can't make you more than you can make yourself, then then just fire me. We'll do a handshake agreement. And, uh, you know, if I can't bring you a bigger dollar uh, figure than what you're doing for yourself, then, you know, we're, we're not going to sign a deal. I said, okay, great. And uh, he called me not too much longer. Um, I was sitting on my couch in between fights, and uh, he said, hey, Kyle Uno got hurt, and I can get you into the Dream Lightweight Grand Prix. Uh, there's a caveat. I need you to make 155. I know you fight at welterweight, but can you make 155 in three weeks? And I, I didn't even blink. And Because he, he said, I said, well, what does it pay? And he said, it's $50,000. It's cash, and they'll give you five grand if you knock the guy out. And um, – uh, that that was the agreement, and I said, "Yeah, done. I, I'll make the weight. I'll figure it out." And he <laughs> said, "You have uh, Andre Dita the first round. That you have a Brazilian the first round. Um, so start watching tape." And uh, I got this like invitational letter from Japan. It was like the Kumite. Uh, it said, yep. "You are officially welcome <laughs> yep. to represent the United States in this tournament." I'm like, "Oh, this is badass." <laughs> yeah. And and. I, I was, I'm a huge fan of the sport. Like I said, like I was crazy about fighting. So the year before I was watching, uh, Eve Edwards. Um, I was, I watched Josh all the time. Eve's, um, who was it? Uh, Kawajiri, Joachim Hansen do all the pride lightweight grand prix. Mm -hmm. So I was like, these guys are my idols. I'm like, these guys started before I did even Josh. I'm like, look at this freaking dude. Like, I wanted to be these guys. I'm like, and then I find myself in the tournament. Now they're my nemesis. Now I got to beat mm -hmm. them. Like I, I got to like be like, I like them, but I, like I said, uh, I, there wasn't no one I thought I could beat with the proper preparation. So uh, Dita, I TKO'd. Um, I, I met the guys in a hotel room. They push over 60 grand cash. And I was like, this is the best sport on earth. And I love Tokyo. Um, and they're like, we'll it's see so you back great. here. We'll see you back here in uh we'll see you back here in two months. You're fighting Joachim Hansen in the second round. So great. And uh I, I fought Hansen. Me and Hansen no, had that the was a war. great fight. That was a fucking yeah. great fight. It was fight. a great fight. Hands down, one of my favorite fights you ever fought, man. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah, that Hands was down. um, that was uh, and and he's an awesome dude. We all we all went out to dinner after that fight, and he taught me the ways of Tokyo and the ways of being an American and fighting in Asia. He put me game on that. You know, a lot of things that I needed to be aware of going to another country and knowing that you know, um, things are a little bit different. You know, you're you're American. You're in another country, and what to expect? Don't eat the bento box. You know, yeah. During <laughs> exactly, you know, what I'm talking about you. Uh, during that time, and uh, who I was fighting for, he and he helped me. He helped me in that way, and that we were the first standing ovation in Japanese history for two foreigners fighting each other. So it was like a it was a big deal the next day in in the papers in Tokyo after. Uh, after we fought. So that was a phenomenal that was, uh, fight. That was awesome. It was great. Yeah, it was just knockdown, drag out. Just he's a stud. And he was not a big he wasn't a big fifty five pounder either. I believe after after he lost to you, didn't he go to forty five? He, he went to forty five. Yeah. 
he was already kind of like but he never stopped smoking cigarettes that dude smoked like a (laughs) chimney i don't know how he fought so long so well (laughs) funny story john so when we met them for dinner and i'm like man this dude's a killer like he's my idol all this stuff and i was like i was like I wouldn't eat the wrong thing. I was like driven. Like I couldn't do anything bad or wrong or I feel guilty. I meet him and he's outside the restaurant. We're like, yeah, want to have dinner after the fight? We're like, yeah, we pull up. This guy's outside. And he and then he then he throws a dip in oh, yeah. and he's dipping and he's smoking cigarettes. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. We just we just fought a 10 minute round. Yep. And, and then and then got a minute and a half rest for it again. I'm like, He's a pure, you know, he's a Viking. He's, he's a, a Viking. Real Viking. There's no doubt real about it. Viking. Yeah, that's crazy, man. I mean, like you see, you hear stories of the old Thai guys, right? They just spit their cigarette out when the young bucks acting up. They jump in the ring and just fuck them up, you know, but that just reminds, <laughs> just reminds me of him. Like, you know, we had a little bit of banter back and forth because after I fought in Dream, he was, I had said something about I'd like to fight him because, you know, like with you, I have a lot of respect for, I like guys that fight like that. You know, those kind of guys motivate you to want to fight them because you know it's going to be a fun fight. And and he fucking went on he went on Twitter. And at the time, I think it was I think it was like just right when I got on Facebook around that time. And he was like, I'm going to fuck you up. Was calling me all these names. <laughs> He's like, you fucking American. I come to fucking Japan. I'm going to fuck you up. And he was calling me all these names, man. All these names. I was like, fucking let's sign the contract. We just couldn't get we couldn't get uh dream to put it together, man. We tried a couple times to run managers, but didn't work out. I would have loved to have had that fight. He was just fun, man. He was a f- I mean, nothing but respect for him. Obviously, he was fucking just walking. He was just a walking highlight reel, a just amazing fighter, like with yourself as well. Just loved it, man. Loved watching. He was him fight, that, so. and that. That's what I loved about watching you fight all the time because I'm like, there, there wasn't no one at, there wasn't anyone at the time, like, um, every like martial artists, you do things your own way, and there was no one at the time who was looked sincerely like they were enjoying themselves in the fight and completely present more than you at the time. Like it was almost yeah. like. The more the fight went, the more you're like, how it was like a rock concert. Like everyone's yeah. enjoying it, and like I would feel your energy watching on TV. I would be like, this guy is having a great time, and I can't imagine how his opponent feels looking across, going, he's a serious, he's dying out, and this guy's smiling and laughing, having the best time of his <laughs> life. And I thought, man, I want to get that comfortable inside of a cage where. I'm sincerely enjoying myself where I'm just lost in it, you know? Well, you got to remember, man, like you went from like for me, right? I went from fucking, I was working long, long hours training at night, you know, from basically four o'clock until nine 30 at night. It's the only sessions we could get in. I didn't want to go back there. So anything I did after that, like with you, everything you did after concrete was fucking just fun. Like it was fun to be in the gym all day. I loved it. Like I was like, Oh, I got to go. I got to the gym at, it it like uh, eleven o'clock. Don't get out till two. Go have lunch. Come back. Rinse. Wash. Repeat. Do it again at night until like nine thirty at night. Then go run a couple miles. Like I fucking loved it. Thinking, would you rather do that? Like sweat and work hard with buddies, locker room talk all day, or fucking go shuck uh, concrete all day, or do whatever the hell you were doing? It was a blessing, man. I gotta tell you, I I mean I don't know how you feel, but I feel blessed to have everything I have in the positions that we're in right now for sure. Uh- a- absolutely absolutely like, you think about if you think about this if they, if you didn't give it 110 percent, like you do every single time you'd still be fucking doing concrete baby and how, how would your life be different 
it just it just is amazes it amazes me that people don't give 110% every time they step into that gym or every time they step into that into the cage to fight it just baffles me because this is an opportunity like especially if you're in a big show already you know like you should be out there doing it all because this is a this is a dream and it doesn't last long for some of for some we've been blessed we were blessed and you are still going hard me I'm I'm done but I'm saying like it's for, I did it for almost, I'd say, around 20 years. Guess who's yeah, approaching that number? Yes, somebody is approaching that number. You <laughs> are, my friend. You are. You know, but yes. I mean, how, how blessed are you? Think about the deal. Like, the, you know, you signed a great deal everywhere you went. That's the one thing that John and I talk about. I tell young fighters, I tell everyone that listens to our show, if you want to watch someone and how they navigated their career and successfully and been able to just – Pick and choose, not their opponents, but the amount of money they make. Follow Eddie Alvarez. Look at his Twitter. Find out the advice. Hit him up. Whatever it is to get advice. Because, dude, you've done everything right. Bodog was paying out the ass. You got a great deal. And that was a lot back then. Like I said, $30,000 was a lot back then. Because Trevor Prangley fought for them. He used to always come back to AKA and go, damn, I got this this small guy. He's with Bodog. Eddie, I'd never heard of you until then. And he, yeah. and then... uh and Trevor was just hyping you up. He's like, he's at 170. He's like, but he's not a 170 pounder. He's like a 55 pounder. And sure <laughs> enough, then you went to, then you went to dream and fought at 55. Like, I told you you can make the weight, but I watched you fight, um, a couple times, you know, over in Bodog. And I was like, this kid's fucking stud, man. What a stud. And then you went to 55 and I was like, oh my God, you were just, then your, your Joaquin Hansen fight just you killed me. Ever since then, I've been following your career, man. Huge fan ever since, you know, so. It just, it baffles me to think that you're being able to do it all right. Like, what was your mindset going? Okay, from Bodog, then you went, from, Bodog pretty much just kind of went away. Then you went to Elite XC, right? Yeah. Elite XC. And then what was your deal? Why didn't you come over in the Strike Force like, exchange? Because Strike Force kind of took some of the fighters from them. And then you Elite, went to Bellador. Yeah, Elite was, uh, Elite kind of collapsed. I had a, actually had a fight schedule with Nick Diaz. Mm -hmm. We were both training to fight each other, and then the whole uh, organization collapsed, and it never – I think they made the poster and all, and it never never came to fruition. Um, but, but some uh, of those fighters came from Elite XC to Strike Force, and then – but you ended up going to Bellator. What, how did that all pan out? That's what happened. I um, can tell so, you that one. I was behind the scenes on that one. Okay. Yeah, Bellator paid a lot. They, they, yeah. they, they, took, they, got, they came in for the steal, man. <laughs> So, um, so I got done that dream tournament and I was so upset because the winner of the dream tournament won a hundred grand. Mm -hmm. I, I was the only person in the tournament to go undefeated, but they disqualified me at the end. Um, I had a, I had an eye injury and, uh, they put Joachim in who I beat the second round. They put him in the finals as an alternate. He knocked Aoki out. He wins the whole thing. Mm -hmm. He wins the hundred grand and I'm sitting there with like a fourth place, $10,000 check. And I was just like, man, a hundred grand. And I think at the time I was like 23, 24, that was like a million bucks to me. So yeah. like, like that was, um, that was really like disheartening for me. Like just to be right there, be in the finals and, and know that they just were like, no, you're not, you're not fighting. And I begged them. I said, look, just give me two minutes. My eye, my eye was wrecked. I couldn't see anything. I said, give me two minutes. I was going to go out there and throw everything. And I said, if you don't like what you see, disqualify me. But don't, don't not let me fight. Let me just give it a shot. And if things go bad, 
stop the fight immediately. And like, no, um, Joachim, you're in, you're out, and uh, you know you're going to take fourth place instead of getting a fight in the final. So, um, but just like everything, like throughout throughout anyone's career, um, sometimes you you don't get what you want, but it ends you end up getting what you need type thing. I I came home. I think I was ranked like number three in the world in WAMA, like outside of the UFC circle. Yeah. And uh, Bellator wanted Spanish. They were going on deportes. And they needed Spanish. Uh, they needed a Latino, um, at least a Spanish last name, or someone to represent the Latinos on deportes. And uh, I think Bell, Bell, what Bjorn Rebney was involved yeah. at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I left Dream. I left Dream <clears throat> making 60 grand a fight. And Bellator came and said, "We're gonna offer you two hundred thousand bucks to sign if you sign with us, and then you'll be in a tournament. And if you win the tournament, we'll give you another hundred and seventy-five grand if you win the tournament." Jeez. So I, the, at the time, we went to the UFC, and uh, I think the deals were five and five, seven and seven. It was yeah. So it wasn't even. Like in my mind, if this was even close, I'd be like, uh, but I had nothing to think about. I'm like, a quarter, uh, $200,000 you're going to give me to sign. I'll, so, I'll uh, give you a little bit of background on that, that. You had no idea about was see Bellator wanted Bjorn Rebney. When he first started, they were going on Deportes. He wanted Roger Huerta. That was his superstar. Roger Huerta was everything. And, and I told him, I said, you're never going to get him. You can't. You don't understand. You don't understand the contracts. He's unavailable. I said, you want Eddie Alvarez. That's the guy. And he goes, does he speak Spanish? I said, doesn't fucking matter. His last name's Alvarez. And I, <laughs> I, go to, I, go to, I call Monty Cox, who is your manager at the time, and I say, Monty, here, this is the number to Bjorn Rebney. He's a pain in the fucking ass. Get him for everything you can. But he <laughs> needs Eddie Alvarez. I am telling you, you can get a lot of money for him. Go after it because this is a good deal for him. He needs him. He's gonna. Oh my be, god, this is great here. And this is. <laughs> I swear to God, and I go, I go. He's gonna. I tell him the whole thing. He's gonna be on Deportes, so he needs the the Spanish name. I said it's perfect for you. Next thing I know, you were signed to Bellator. I said, yeah, baby, there you go. <laughs> Eddie, you you owe all your money. No, to no, John. no. You don't yeah, owe you me a damn success. thing. But I I swear to God, that's on great. my grandkids' lives, that's the truth. You can ask you, Monty. You guys. You guys know where where are we at now? We're in 2009. I think we're in 2009. Oh, when you first to went get to it. Yeah. Oh, I would oh say yeah because you were, you were in Dream at 2008, weren't you? 2010 May, Bellator May 6, started. 2010 was the first uh, was the Bellator fight. Sorry. Um Bellator Bellator won. Sorry, it was April 3rd, 2009. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I was in the, I was in the first tournament at Bellator. Um 200 grand at when UFC is yeah. paying seven and seven at the time or, or five yeah. and five. Like, <laughs> so the, the numbers were unheard of. And then, then I went on to win the tournament. I made, I made $375,000 in, uh, in five, six months in 2009. And I haven't seen a goddamn like, Christmas present since. <laughs> yeah. you didn't you didn't give me the skinny you didn't give me the behind the scenes it's all good baby I 
Yeah, I would have been happy to cut you a check then. You know, uh, you know you were in on it. John just John just wants a high end bottle of whiskey, that's buddy. It, that's baby. it. <laughs> I could do that. No shit, that's fucking great. Shit, like you're saying, so two hundred grand to sign, and then another another hundred and seventy five to win the tournament. Yep, yep that is yeah. nice. Yeah, and then so was it? What well, were they paying you per base, like on each fight, or was it just two hundred grand per tournament that you entered into? No, I think it was like I was getting a base, but as you progressed, you were getting you were getting a little bit more, and the semifinals was a little bit more, and then the finals. But the whole lump sum ended up being one hundred seventy five over the course of like, and and Masvidal was in the tournament. It was supposed to be. Yeah. Here's here's a funny story, uh, fans fans would love to hear. Um, me, me and Masvidal, they put us on the end, ends of the bracket, uh, and, and I'm like, it's going to be me and Masvidal. We we yeah. knew. We seen the rest of the guys, and I'm like, you know, there's this Irish kid, Lothran. There was another kid, Eric Reynolds. I'm like, they're just, they were good fighters, but not not the caliber of me and Masvidal at the time. So I'm like, it's going to be me and me and Jorge, and uh, we're in the semifinals. Yep. We're both we're yep. both in the back, and he Toby went out Mata. before I did. Yep, yeah, <laughs> he, he went out before I did. And he fought Toby Amata. I'm like, he's going to wipe this guy up. I think I was in the main event or toe main event at the night. Well, he gets reverse triangle. Inverted triangle. Yeah. Of the year. <laughs> yeah. And and he turns purple and passes out. And the whole crowd's like, he just got knocked out by Toby, Toby Amata, this judo black belt in this submission of the year type thing. Now Bjorn Rebney is freaking out in the back. Oh, yeah. Because there's a virtually unknown unknown guy who just knocked out one of their biggest names. I'm the only guy left, and he's like, "This is going to ruin everything." This is so he runs to the back. I'm in the locker room warming up, and he's sweating, and he goes, "Just win." I'm like, "What? <laughs> who are you, dude?" He goes, <laughs> "I'm like, what are you talking about? Just win." I'm like, what do you, what does it have anything to do with you? You know, like, and, uh, and I, looking back, I'm like, he was nervous about his promotion. Like he was nervous about, you know, having unknown fighters and not being marketable guys to, to yeah. win. So I'm like, whatever, dude, I'm going to fight. I don't care what's going on with you. <laughs> um, so I go out there and, and we win it. And then that, that was that. But uh, yeah, that that was uh, that was funny, <laughs> bro. There's so many crazy stories about Bjorn. Oh, like, there's just, I mean, I we could, we could sit we could down all day offline, long, uh, offline, what? and talk about. It. But it's hilarious, man. That's- yeah, and to um to clear the air, I know I went on the air, and me and Pitbull were talking, and um I think fans got a little bit confused with Bellator <laughs> and and what's going on with Bellator and. My my qualm, my issue that I had with Bellator was a 2012 or 2013 issue, and it was before basically everyone who's there was there. Uh, Scott took over, and they revamped. They kind of revamped everything. They they fired the people who were kind kind of really put a wrench in my whole career and almost tried to bankrupt me. They fired Bjorn. They, I think they got rid of the guy from Viacom. They got rid of the guy, Kevin, from Viacom. 
they got rid of a lot of the people who were responsible for doing some really bad things to me and, and holding me back in, in the prime of my career. And uh, fans, there's a lot of new fans who don't know the new Bellator from the old Bellator. And uh, they should understand that, like, the Bellator that's now uh, with Scott Coker and, and, and you guys is a whole de- different separate Bellator that has nothing to do with my my situation back then. Um, it just they kind of revamped for the for the better and uh, since then been kicking ass. Man, I was so upset that you didn't stay with us when Scott took over. And I know there was there was a little bit of this like just you wanted to, I think I don't know if you wanted to stay or if it was your moment to finally just go ahead and go. But it was more like, did you have a did you have a conversation with Coker about this? I I when, did, but um, God, what what is? No, no, I was saying, did you? What did was you, your conversation like with him about this situation? Because I mean, from what so, I understand, he was very peaceful about it. He's like, you know, look, whatever decide, whatever you decide, you know. But you know, it's a little bit of a ruffled feathers type of situation. But what was your discussion like with that? It yeah. We went through really bad stuff, like uh, just me, me and Bellator in general. And it was beyond Bjorn Rebney at the time. Uh, it was the guy, even the guy Kevin was involved, and he was still involved. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like him. Um, and I, and I had, a, I had a conversation with him, and I thought he would be a little more um, reasonable, mm-hmm. more reasonable than Bjorn, and he wasn't. He was just, he was kind of on the same page. So I'm like, I can't, I can't really stay here and deal with that. But at the time they were basically like, what's the number that would make you stay? Like, let's talk about a number and let's see what would make you stay. And I'm like, you guys give me a million dollars a fight right now. And I, I won't even think about staying because <laughs> I, I, it was beyond money. Now, now it was about the whole world for 10 years is telling me I can't win the UFC title, the whole world. I mean, no matter what I did, all I would hear is how I would never add up if I went to the UFC. So like, it was like, it didn't matter what I did. I was already making great money. Um, I was winning every title from each promotion I went to, but I would always hear the background noise is always, you did this, but you can't do that. You did this, but you can't do, you did this, but you can't beat the UFC guys. So like in my head, I'm like for my own well being for the fans to put them at rest and, to really put, you know, a cherry on the top of my, I have to go there. I have to go there. Um, and I got to put money aside and just do it for, for myself for my family and stop hearing all this noise from people saying, I can't, you know, fight with these people. <laughs> I, I knew, and, and you know, Josh, course, as a yes, fighter, course. you're training with UFC guys, you know what you're capable of, but like, yeah. you're just sick at a certain point, you're just sick of, sick of hearing it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. there's not a number you could put on it. That's going to stop me from going there and, and, and shutting everyone up. Let, let's talk about one thing before we go towards when you joined the UFC, you had two fights, the one that you lost your title to Michael Chandler. And that was just an incredible fight of the year type of fight. But your second one that I was lucky enough to actually be part of as the referee. I love that fight. It was unbelievable. It was back and forth. You both had your moments you two brought out the best in each other. It was just something about styles and the way that you guys competed and just amazing those two fights combined because 
It's a total of nine rounds. Just unbelievable. He won one. You won one. Were you ever in that position? You were thinking, "We, I need to to match up with him to do it one more time." Well, Mike's a dog. You know what I mean. Like, and when I first fought him, he was virtually unknown. Um, I was at a kind of weird spot in in my career where um, I made it to the top of Bellator, and there was really nowhere to go but down. Mm-hmm. I beat beat everyone, had the champ, had the money. And when you're in that position, it's like, what do I do that's going to really get me going? And they're like, well, you're fighting Mike Chandler next. I'm like, well, well, who's Mike Chandler? I don't... <laughs> so I was kind of, it's kind of in a weird spot of fighting a really, really tough fighter who was unknown. And uh, yeah. Mike, Mike definitely came out. He was wanted to light the world on fire and uh he got the best of me that day and um i got to go back and watch the tape and i'm like that really stung and i was just like in my head i'm like that motherfucker will never beat me again like i just there was something about him i'm just like i didn't i didn't really like him and i'm just like <laughs> welcome to josh thompson's world <laughs> yeah i, I, I was just like uh, yeah i was just like I can't lose to that guy. And I, we had to do a, we had to do a, um, an award show together, like the men's choice bike awards. Mm-hmm. And I had to be cordial with a guy who took my belt and beat me. And I had to like, act like, like I'm, I like, I'm a better man and above things. And I wasn't, I was still young. I'm like, I just wasn't I I'm like, yeah, I just, wasn't. I love I you. not, uh, I was not there yet in my life. I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. Like you get in those moments. Like for me, like when I fought Gil, I never really cared about. Like I beat him the first time. He beat me the second time. There was mutual respect. We were friends though beforehand, and we had trained beforehand. But like other people that I've fought that I've lost to, I'm like. I'm not sure if I'm ready to be your friend just yet. You know, I mean, not that I'm disrespect. I'm not disrespectful at all. You just don't want to, you know, you don't want if you want to be their friend just yet. You know, but um, but I was actually at that first fight because Trevor Prangley was the main event against uh, uh, Hector Lombard, and so yeah, I was there. Or no, he wasn't the main event. He was the co-main, and you guys were the main. But I walked out to watch that fight, and shit, man, what a like here round one was tough. Round two was tough. You poured it on on him on him in the third round, and I was like, "Oh my god, he's gonna get him out of here. He's gonna get him out of there. He's just a tough sob." Now everything about me that that doesn't like Michael Chandler, but I have a lot of respect for him in terms of his. He's a dog, like you yeah. said. He's a dog. He's someone that can take the punishment. He can deliver the punishment. He's strong. He's athletic. He's explosive. All of those things. But man, I thought for sure after coming out to that was the fourth round. I think. I thought for sure you were going to get him out of there because, man, you were piecing him up in the third. But yeah. then, you know, it just that's the nature of the beast when it comes to the fight game. But your next fight with him, too, was, was fucking like a continuation. It was unbelievable. It was, just a, it was a great fight, man. But like when people I, I've always wanted to see a third because I feel like you have that you have certain people in your career that are your nemesis. And like that's how that's how legends kind of are made. You know, yeah. you the history, like you look at Shogun and Dan Henderson, you look at myself and Gil, you look at other fighters that have had trilogies, you know, Ollie Frazier. I feel like it's like, it's unfinished business. You guys are one and one. I'd like to see you guys run it back. I don't give a fuck if it's at 45 years old, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I tried, when I got out of my UFC contract, mm-hmm. he was getting out of his Bellator and I called him directly. I called him on his phone. Um, I got his number and I said, hey man, um, I'm a free agent. 
you're about to be a free agent. Um, instead of, uh, you know, working against each other here, let's walk in offices together. Let's, let's walk in Bellator together. Let's walk in UFC yeah. together. Let's go together and, and we will sell the promotion. We'll make a lot more money together than we will, uh, separately. And, um, he was like, Oh, it's a great idea. Great idea. And then, and then, uh, then we didn't talk. And then I hear, Oh, he's, uh, he signed, re-signed with Bellator. I'm like, what? We, yeah. I thought it was a great idea. I thought, I thought we were doing this. <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, he signed that he signed that extension. It was for a shorter term, I think is what it was. I think it was only for like three or four fights. So he popped those out pretty quickly and then uh then he, he, he speaks too well. I don't like I don't I don't know. Guys who speak too well, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Everything <laughs> everything sounds too good. If it sounds too good, I'm like oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I can't I trust know. you. I can't <laughs> trust you, man. I can't trust you, bro. When you speak like that <laughs> Yeah, he speaks dude, in phrases like, and like in in quotes and stuff and i'm like i can't, yeah, I can't. like you read like, it you read it somewhere earlier that day and you spewed it out on tv calm down buddy yeah. um no but overall though he like i said he, he's a great fighter though i'm not gonna take that away from him great fighter, um, hell of a fighter but otherwise like so you get into the ufc you finally win you know you get there you win the title no, stop. Let's Wait, where are you going? No, stop, stop, don't, stop. I want to go, yeah, yeah, go back to the... You got to go back. Let's talk about your first fight in the UFC. That's what yeah, I was going to get okay, to. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. I, didn't I, I get there. Hold on. I'm apologizing but, to you, Josh. I apologize. Is, there's Josh. a first for everything, my friend. <laughs> first for everything. You, when old people, like, you just let them talk. You don't interrupt. You just normally <laughs> got to jump in there. You know, Um, and when they apologize, you listen, for damn sake. So he's... <laughs> He's almost he's 79 years old, man. He'll be 80 this year, Eddie. I'm telling you, brother. He's looking good for his age. Sharpay look. Um wrinkles are good. So you they're sexy. So you get in there with the Cowboy Cerrone fight. Okay. What was like the emotions going through that right there? Because there's a lot of ups and downs. You've seen other guys, Marlon Marais came in, looked like he was more happy to be there. Finally being in the UFC, more happy to be there. You know, and just didn't perform very well against the Sun Sal. He ends up coming back and getting that win over him. What was your first experience like? Were you just happy that you're like, finally, I can prove everyone wrong and I'm here? And then the fight just didn't pan out? Or what happened in that fight? I just, I thought I had a, um, it was just a, hmm, Cerrone. I, Leg I kicks. feel like, yeah, I went into the fight and um, I kind of kind of got ahead. I knocked him out like pretty early. I thought like I'm like all right, I connected. And usually, if I connect, I'm, I will finish. I'm like I'm like pretty uh, nine, maybe ninety percent. If I catch somebody with a hard shot, I'm going to finish them. I caught him with a hard shot, and I kind of emptied the tank. But like that was that was disheartening because like that fight, I feel like was super winnable. I don't know, kind I can't really put a spot on it, but. He did a great job, great job with leg kicks, staying composed after I almost put him away and just kind of stayed in there. He caught me with real good, like, stabbing knees to the body. Mm -hmm. um, and I always had, like, a little bit of an issue with taller, lankier opponents, like, uh, it, with, my with my style. Like, when I went against guys, like, six foot and over, it was always, like, a little, a little difficult for me as, like, a – you know, a, a lightweight who's like five, seven and a half, five, eight, you know, so, um, like you, man, they're difficult yeah. to deal with in this sport, but damn, I lose to them. And it's like, ah, oh, fuck. They were all right. They're all right. <laughs> I, you know, I, I can't hang, you know, and it, and it pissed me off. Cause like, 
almost immediately I get a call from Dana and Dana says, Hey, maybe you should go to 155. You look like a really, uh, 145. You look like a really small lightweight. And I'm like, no, I'm like, that's not, I'm like, that's not going to cure anything. That's not the fix. Um, dropping down another 10 pounds are going to help anything. I, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I know, I know I'll win your belt. I, I'm not going to 45. I'm staying at 55 and, and, and I'll get it done. Just let me get this loss out of the way and behind me and I can move forward. Well, you ended up after the Cerrone fight, you got a win against Gil Melendez, someone who is a nemesis, I guess, of Josh there. He's only faced him three times. So <laughs> it was a close, it was a close fight, split decision win. And what I was told is that Joe Silva did not have kind words for you at this moment. And, and he basically told you, you were never going to be a champion there because you're never going to get that shot. And then all of a sudden you were given that, uh, opponent in Anthony Pettis that everyone was looking at as to be the guy and, and he had lost the championship to Dos Anjos and you got to win against him and that kind of puts you in that position where they put you against RDA and a lot of people were thinking at the time he's almost you know unbeatable you came in there in the first round and knocked him out you were all over him you talk about finishing and it was how close were you? Because you put so much out on him, and you were hitting him with big shots. You had him hurt for probably two minutes. It seemed like of that yeah. fight that you were going after him. I when I caught RDA, I caught him with a punch. Uh, my box, my old boxing trainer Mo. Um, shout out to him. Uh, it's called an anaconda. He called it the anaconda. He would say all the time, Eddie, throw the anaconda, and the anaconda is like. It's it's a it's a it's a right hook, but you 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 make it long like this. You don't you don't hook, and you just turn your hip and make it super long. And what it does is when when you're not really connecting against a guy, and they have a four ounce glove, if you get a dip back like this, you'll you'll the reach will connect and maybe clip him here. But if he stays if he stays with his shoulders good, you catch him right behind the glove, like behind the ear. And we always worked this this anaconda. It would be a jab, and when I, when I would throw the jab, I would I would remove my left foot when I threw the jab, and I would just turn nice and long. And on south poles, it was like a clean shot, almost almost right behind the ear. And I was hitting that in in sparring all the time against the south poles, and we got him with it. Like we got him with the anaconda. That kind of that loosened them up really bad, and um, I I went in for the kill. But he wasn't he wasn't going out, and I remember at a certain point going, "This is it for you, man," because um, <laughs> because you pretty much spent yourself. I threw like 175 punches in like a minute, and I was just like, "You got to get him out of here." There's no you know burn burn the ships type thing. And, um, that's kind of what I did. I just went, went all in. I'm like, this is it. This is the moment, you know? So, uh, but after winning the title, so you win the title and your, your next opponent is Connor, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now I had talked to you a little bit. Um, I think we were, we were either DMing or we we're back and forth on something, but we were talking and I said, cause I was asking you something else about something else. But you you let him get into your mind in that fight. What's your regret with that fight in terms of was it the pre, like all the press, all the other stuff? Because I you had told me specifically you're like yeah yeah the the training was to wrestle or at least get the wrestling going 
and then move on to the boxing after a little bit. But where was it in that fight that this, the wrestling never really got started? I would have, if, if I could go back and do this over again, it had nothing to do with the actual, the actual fight, the event. I would have, I would have took some serious time off after I won the world title. That was like, it took me 13 years to win that, to manifest that dream that I thought forever. So like I wrote, I, I made a vision board when I was like 19 or 20 in a little shit house, me and my wife, um, you know, we, I, I bought my first house. It was like a hundred thousand, but real small house. But like I made a vision board and on my vision board, not like, not like, like that big ass house you're in now with nothing, nothing <laughs> like this bad boy. <laughs> but I made this vision board and on this vision board, it's, it had a ranking. I'm going to be ranked this. Um, I'm going to make, I'm going to make this much per fight. Um, I, I had stupid stuff, people, stuff, people that I wanted my kitchen to look a certain way in my bathroom. Like I, I got as detailed as possible with what I wanted. Like, what do you want and why? And just put it on this board and kind of use your imagination. So I did that and I pasted all the stuff on a board. And, um, it was after, after the RDA fight, I don't have the board. Um, but I think back it was after the RDA a fight, I'm in my bed, I'm laying down and I, I won it, but I still, I was, uh, I was unhappy, you know? I, so I'm like, what, what do you, in my own mind, I'm thinking, um, so what you got what you wanted. And, uh, so what's next? And that's my mind's like, so what's next? And I'm like, well, everything on that vision board manifested the money, the ranking, the titles, the everything. And I realized I'm like, you have no targets, zero. You have no, my vision manifested. I, I didn't create, I didn't create more. I didn't create a, a bigger imagination for myself. Like, Hey, how about you should have sat down and reassessed your goals for moving forward after this. It was like, I got to where I want it and I never had a plan when I got there. Um, so I would have took time off and really soaked that in. I didn't soak it in. I was just like, it was like another title for me, like MFC, Bellator, like any other one. It was like, great, you got it. Now, now what are you going to do? And um, I should have been more grateful for the position I was in and I should have soaked it in and, and really enjoyed it. And then, and then came back and, you know, passionately and got into a training camp and, and fought that way. I just, I don't feel like I had a lot of gratitude. I felt like the belt was like a, a burden, not a blessing. I'm like, oh mm -hmm. man, now I, now I got to do this and I got to go to this interview and I got to, I didn't, that's not, I didn't want to do any of that. I didn't look at it as a blessing. I was like more like I should have, I should have had more gratitude about the position I was in. If you were going to look back at that night, because that was the, the, the first big fight the UFC was back in New York with all the pressure of everything and the big title fights. And they had, they had a bunch of title fights throughout, you know, that show, a lot of things going on. When you look back at, did it seem like it just came and went super fast and it was just over before you even realized it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was really, it was a really fun fight week. Like I don't remember, having that much fun during a fight week, like the banner back and forth. Um, I never, <laughs> for me, like at the time, I'm like, I have 
I got five, four, maybe I, I'm like, I have four children on whatever this guy says. I'm like, I'm 30. So I'm not 20 something years old anymore, but like, I didn't take anything personal. The banner back and forth is what it was. It was fun. It was fun for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was honestly, I left the Madison square garden. I was crushed. I, we, I went in a van. I remember we, we drove in a van back to Philadelphia and I, and I cried, I cried like a, like a little kid, like a, like a child from New York, almost all the way to Philadelphia, like cried, like, like I lost, like I died inside. Like, it was like, like all, everything I did, everything that like I freaking worked for you. I got myself to this, to this largest stage and I did that. And that like. It wasn't like, I'm like, that's not what you're capable of. And you got yourself on this stage for everyone to see you. And, um, you know, you didn't, when you don't put your best foot forward or you don't have your best night, it's like, fuck, man. It was, it was brutal. It took me a long time to get past, like a few months to just get over and realize like, I'm, I'm in fist fighting. Like that's what I came up with At, at the end of it all. I'm like, why and what could I have done? And at the end of it all, I'm like, you fist fight, man. Like, it's volatile. Like, bad shit happens. You could be as prepared as you want. You're in fist fighting. Like, shit goes down and it it could go bad quickly. And um, you hope you prepare properly and you go in there and you hope the best, but sometimes it doesn't. And that's, that's what I came up with. John has this saying. He says, "Like if the worst thing that's ever happened to you in your life is you lost a fight, fuck, you're in pretty good shape, brother. You got a good life. You know what I mean? It's the truth. Like when you yep. think you've got a pretty damn good life, because I mean, honestly, like you said, I've fucking bought this house for a hundred thousand dollars, like this little shitty house, right? My first house. Now look behind you on that wall. You got all those belts from all these other organizations, you know, and you're you got what four beautiful kids." Yep. Beautiful wife. You got a great life. You're you're doing everything you ever wanted and dreamt of, man. You could still be doing concrete. I always look <laughs> back at those type of things. That's what I say. I'm like, some people look back and go, God, I would have been living in a cubicle, working, you know, behind a computer screen all day. Screw that. There's no way. Like doing yeah. concrete, doing construction. No way, man. Not, absolutely not. I mean, before I actually quit my, like my, my second to last job, when I moved back down to California, I was doing roofing. I did construction. Oh my for a god! There's only one thing worse than concrete. It's roofing. <laughs> it's roofing. Yeah, because you're standing on something like this the whole day. <laughs> yeah, you're all standing like this. You're laying down the, the you're laying down in the California, sheets, and it's just you were roofing. Yeah, in California. So California. Oh. Then I was doing it in Idaho first, and I started doing it down here when I first got here. It was brutal, man. Like and I, I did about six months of it here. I'm like, screw this. So I got a job at a tech company, like not a tech company, uh. Like, uh, it was called Fry's Electronics. I was an undercover, like, officer. So he was all indoors. I was like, thank God. I just walked around and playing clothes arrest people for stealing shit. I mean, you'd get three or four arrests every day. It was so much fun. <laughs> but it didn't pay shit, and it was horrible hours, man. It was just horrible. It didn't pay anything. Anyways, but uh, to think what all the hit, of all the things you've done in your, in your career, you know, you've got the Bellator belts behind you. You've got the UFC belts, you know, and uh, what, Elite XE belts. Like, everything don't you feel don't you feel blessed to be where you're at i do it it took me yeah it took me till now to be able to like soak things in sit back and be like all right uh yeah 
I, if I'm guilty of anything, it's not like, you know, sitting back and smelling the roses. And I, and my wife reminds me of that like a lot. And like, it's, it's the reason why I was like successful in fighting was I was, I was never complacent. I always was like, all right, you have this, but you know, this is the next step and you want to go here. I never was okay with where I was at. And that was a blessing and a curse for me because I never, no matter what I got, I never felt like good about myself. Like no matter what I didn't matter. Like, it's like, Oh, you thought you wanted that and now you got it and you don't feel good about yourself. So like, it was a blessing and a curse. Like what, uh, what most people would see as like success. It was like, is it just like, this is like my craziness inside my head that I was just trying to collect things and I don't know why I want them. <laughs> John, before we move on to, to one, is there anything else you have on the UFC talk you want to talk about? Cause I don't want to step on your toes, big guy. No, step on my toes. <laughs> I, I have one, you know, when you, when you Love sit it. there and you talk about, you know, you, you're, you're never satisfied. You're not satisfied with what you did. You're not, you know, even once you accomplished it, it's like, I want more. It's like, that wasn't, it wasn't what I thought. I've always looked and you know, I, if, if you took a step back and you went back to when you're 18 years of age and could picture the life that you would live. And, and I, I do this all the time. As I said, man, if I, if I die tomorrow, dude, I die a happy dude. Cause I lived a life that I never expected. I never saw it coming. I, I was able to take part in more things, accomplish more things, do more things, and that I ever dreamt that I would be part of. You have got to be in that same position because you've accomplished an ungodly amount of things in your time on this earth. I I, I am now because I, I spent a lot more time with my family than I like than I did during the the you know primes of my career. The during the primes of my career it was like. You know, fighting owned, fighting owned us. Fighting owned me and my wife. We were both married to fighting. Like it was like our third. It was our mistress. It was our mistress. Like, your mistress, yeah. Fighting was, yeah. We we both committed to it, and it was like, it was that that ran our life. You know, that was what our life was, and we were both all in. Like this is what we're gonna do. This is what it's gonna bring our family. This is what's gonna make our life comfortable, and um. You know, honestly, fighters need like there's a lot of fighters out there with like toxic, toxic women like oh. that. As long, <laughs> that as long Jeez. that is that as long as they're with this woman, they're oh. never like I don't care how good of a fighter they are, they're never gonna do shit in this sport because <laughs> the woman could take you to the moon or she could drag you to the depths of the depths like, of so, hell. Uh, Just say yeah, my like. Yeah, if I if I told my wife I was gonna, you know, whatever I told her at eighteen, nineteen years old, like I'm 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 the best in the world. And I'm gonna. She was like, "Fucking yeah, you are. Let's like let's go." Like, it, I, I I could I didn't need to convince her. She was just like, "Yeah, let like nobody can fuck with you." I was like, "I had the best person on earth to be able to do this job and like no like, um, no matter what goes on, I'm gonna have someone." So like, my my biggest thing is like a lot. I see a lot of fighters with, with bad women, and I see them. Um, they uh, they they kind of separate their family from the sport. They say you stay over there, and I'm gonna go train over here, and you stay away from me. That way, you never understand what I go through, and then then it looks like I'm just cheating on you with fighting. 
um, rather early in my career, me and my wife were together. She, she was there many times when I was injured, like almost near blind. She on, so she understood early, Hey, this shit is serious. And when it's time to lock down and go in, our whole family locks down and goes in, we all prepare. So it was like, when, when you do that with your, with your, your, your woman, you do that with your wife, you separate them. It's no good. It's no good. Cause now it's like, you, you really should do the opposite. You say, come in here. Let me show you. Let me show you what, what happens here. Let me show you the dangers of this. That way you understand it the way I understand it. And you could, you feel the fear that I feel, um, when we're preparing for what we're about to go into, you know? Um, so we, we were good like that. And, um, you know, that, that's a large part of my success, my family, my wife, and like what I was able to kind of get done. And my, my biggest thing I'm proud of is we're all, we're all like, we all married this sport and we all did it, did it together. It wasn't like you stay there. I go here and, um, I'm going to win this. And then you just be, it was like, we did it together. All of us. Yeah, I've seen I've seen it several times when when husband and wife separate it, right? And when they separate it, they don't realize that she's not seeing everything that you're going through. So then she really there's times where I've seen wives go, "What'd you do today? All you did was train." Like it's like they like yeah, it's true. I've I've heard women tell that to their to their husbands, like, "What'd you do today? Like you just all you did was train." And it was sure it was two hours. There's no concept like when you separate them like that. There's not that the reality is not like that. Two hours is harder than anything that 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 person probably did. Even if it's for the females, right? I've seen some women fighters that were top level fighters, and the husband was has a a day job. He's like, you know, hey, I still need you to do this, this, and this. No, no, no. It needs to be done to where that person can has time to rest. Because in fighting, period, what's the most important thing out of all of that in between your sessions is rest. It's eat and rest. You need someone that will be there to understand that because if you don't, they're going to start asking you, hey, I need you to go to the store. Hey, I need you to pick up something. Hey, I need you to go here. Hey, can you do this? And if you have kids, it's like, hey, can you pick up the kids here? Can you drop the kids off there? There's no rest. And without that rest, you can't perform at your optimum level. So when you're talking about what your wife is like, hey, when when I go in, she goes in, it's very important. It's very important that you find yourself a woman. And it doesn't matter like Eddie's given your obviously given your your uh, wife a lot of props but a lot of a lot of fighters especially a lot of young fighters they make the mistake of of trying to hook up with the the stripper club girl you know <laughs> thinking that that's the one you know what i mean like she looks good sure cool but what's it gonna bring to you fight week what's it gonna bring to you i've seen so many girls or so many guys on fight week you know what i mean dealing with the girl they met at the strip club yeah, like what are you doing? And they're in the they're in the UFC or they're in other bigger promotions and they're dealing with girls that they met, you know, during their camp at the strip club. What are you doing? So those remember I said in earlier in the show, making sure that you take this thing seriously because to be blessed in where you are and what you've done so far in your career and all the belts behind you showed that your dedication has been definitely to the sport, you know, and you know, and your wife has helped you get there. And it's great to hear someone talk highly of, you know, of their other, their significant other and be like, Hey, I wouldn't be here without it. Cause it's very rare. Do you hear that these days? It is rare. But it, yeah. one of the things that we always knew when your wife was at the fight, which she normally was because your <laughs> wife yells louder than anybody in the arena, the entire fight. She doesn't stop. 
<laughs> She's on that's it, a, man. It's funny because a, I, I, I've always, I, I always told my wife, anything you want to go to, just tell me. You can come. And, and I would, you know, even if it cost me, you know, I wasn't going to make that much money based upon her coming. It was, hey, I want you to be part of what I do. And that's what you've done with your family. And that's, it says a lot about who you are. And it also goes to why you're successful. So my hat's off to you for that. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. The last thing I want to talk about real quick, and then we'll get you out of here. It's been a little bit. So um, is your, your one deal. How did that all come about? And I, everyone has been hearing buzz that it's been a great deal. So, as a, you know, you were excited about signing it. How did that all come about in terms of when you left the UFC? How did you get in contact with one? And what was the relationship like in terms of getting that deal done? So, like like we spoke about, back in like 2010, 2008, I fought in Asia a ton. I built a fan base in Asia. So, um, when I was getting out of my UFC deal, um, one, you know, one, they want to build that, you know, that Asian market. Um, but they also wanted a, an American TV deal uh, with, with uh, TNT. And I think they did a pretty large capital raise almost almost exactly when I was getting out. So like the kind of, it was just kind of, everything kind of came together exactly the way it should have. Um, and when I got out, I spoke with Dana. Um, I went to him, I think we. I even went without my management and just sat down with him. And I was like, look, you know, this is who I am. You guys had me on your show. I was probably mostly co-main event or main event, almost every card, you know, knockouts, fights, you know, won the title. And outside of here, I know I'm worth X amount of money. And uh, he agreed with me. You know, I'm like, I I understand the sport. I understand the business. I just like kind of let him know, like, you know, anywhere in the world outside of UFC, I'm going to get this much. And he said, I know. I know you will. Um, and uh, they were they were awesome with me, and they're like, you know, see see what you can do, and then come back to us, and we'll see. And uh, you know, the deal was uh, just it was a, it was a great deal. When I showed it to Dana, he was basically like, dude, that's you know, good for good for you. Um, you know, good good luck with everything. Good for you, and um, that was good. So like, we ended everything cordially. And uh, what one, I mean. One, we started right away with the with the tournament. And again, my first fight, it was like, you know, um, I go in there, I fight a guy who was like, you know, I was massive. I, I was like gigantic and uh, came out. And I know, I, I know Josh was talking about Timothy. Josh was familiar with Timothy before, like yep. just absolute savage. And um, we were fighting and I was like fighting the fight and uh, <clears throat> I got hit with a shot, man worst injury i ever i ever had in a fight i never even seen anything like it my uh my eyelid top and bottom split like that um i just felt air all air enter my eye both eyelids were split down he caught he went here and it threw like a left hook and the left hook like grazed me and it just split my eyelids both of them so both of them were wide open immediately I didn't care about fighting. I thought I was going to go blind immediately. I thought this ain't worth it. Um, th- this is not worth like, I, you know, you guys see me and drag them out wars. I'll never yeah. ever say die. There ain't something you're going to do something to me that I'm going to ever think about quitting this immediately. I felt my eyeball, uh, open up and just felt gruss as a wind. 
And I'm like, that's, this is not good. Nothing is good about this. Um, so I just tucked up and was like, I'm this, I'm out. Worst injury I ever sustained. It was just split my eyelids. Thank God they got everything back together. But, uh, people, people don't realize with fighters, we've taken enough, enough damage in all over our body that we understand when something really is bad and when it's not like something we can fight through. And when it's something like, this is something I've never felt before and it's not good. It's not a good feeling. And is it must have been extremely hard for you to be like, okay, look, let's just call this a night and we'll move on to the next one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the immediate reaction was like that, and I'm like, man, I've never I've never done that before, but I've also never sustained like an an injury that that freaking bad in a for in a in a country. You know, like I'm just like. I need to get this fixed and I need to hope that I can actually fight again after this. Yeah. Well, even, uh, even if you wanted to go on that, that is a fight ending injury. They cannot have an eyelid split because it's so hard to actually sew it back together where it doesn't end up causing a keloid on the inside of your eye, which actually affects your vision and, and you end up having vision problems and eye trouble based upon the scar itself. So, you know, as far as giving up in it, fight was over once your eyelid split that's just the way it's going to be you know yeah, yeah. I, I had known i had called some of timothy nasukin's fights when i was working for one as a commentator for a couple of years and he was one of those guys that he would get you out of there in the first round like every, almost everyone i'd ever called for his fights i mean he had lost one but he had fought uh foil the guy that you had fought and they mm-hmm. had a knockdown drag out fight for about two minutes I mean, it was a barn burner of a fight, but it only lasted about two minutes. They were just slinging it. I think Timothy got dropped. Timothy got back up and dropped him and knocked him out, but it was a barn burner of a fight. And then, you know, he always had a problem with guys that would wrestle and get takedowns, but he was a guy that either he knocked you on the first or he got knocked out or he got, he got submitted tired. or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah, he's a, he's a tough, he's a tough kid. Um, yeah. But overall, though, you, you're, you're enjoying, uh, you know, that Asian market is fun. You know, in terms of like Singapore is fun, Manila is fun. If you, if, I don't know if you fought in Manila, but certain locations yeah. there are really nice and they're fun to be at. And then some I've been to, and I was like, okay, uh, yeah, like, it's a little <laughs> I, rough. It's a little, a little rough. rough. Yeah, but, checking on checking underneath the cars a little bit. But <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, you know, your hotel room is, you know, a little like, okay, I don't know about this. But majority of the time, like, we went and fought, and there was there's some fights for one in Beijing. Beautiful hotel. We're right there at the uh, where the bird's nest was, where they had the yeah. Olympics at. They have a beautiful hotel that we stayed at. It was amazing. Um, Singapore is absolutely amazing. It's one of my favorite cities to ever go to. Everyone speaks English. Everyone's super nice, very respectful, the food, the food's and very so good clean. The food too. is so good. And if you're like someone who doesn't want to experiment with food, there's other options everywhere. You know. So let's talk about yeah, so your good stuff. I'm sorry you had you yeah, had a fight you. with Lapicus where there was a problem. They ended up disqualifying you, and then finally they overturned it. Yeah. What is what was the entire situation for you in that in in that that made that would made me so angry because I was just like uh <laughs> like look I want I want to fight for the title there, right? I'm just like how many I fought world champions all over. So I well, I'll go through you gotta put me through this gauntlet. So like Fully Ang was a, um was the the former champion and I submitted him pretty quickly in like a minute and I'm like just give me a just give me a let me fight the champion. I know I'll beat the champion. It was like Christian Christian Lee at the time. 
And they always, they were always telling me like, oh, I just got to win one more. And I'm like, okay, well, this guy Lapicus is going to be the guy because he's ranked number number two. So if I beat Lapicus handily, then I'll then I'll get a shot. And then I I go in there and I TKO this guy. Like to me, I'm like, this is a TKO. Like I yeah took this guy down. I felt like wrestling wise, it was like it was like simple. Take this guy down. I start beating him. I start punching him battering them and then i get a tko and they're like disqualified i'm just like what like so now i can't even win i can't win when i win i'm like it was it was it was frustrating so um i went back and a lot of people don't know this i i i i did that without lopicus i flew home and in 10 days i flew back and fought again so within 10 days i i flew home to america Showed out 10 days, flew back to Singapore, fought again against uh, Oak. Oak, Oak. And I was just like, I got dropped. And then I felt like I, I, I won every minute after I got dropped. And then I got, you lost that. And I'm just like, oh, man, this is brutal, man. So um, I'm, I'm just, I'm looking forward to who's, who's next, who I'm going to fight next. And I'm, I'm just like, Kind of got a you know a little bit of a hair across my ass. Uh, so who's next is gonna is gonna feel that feel that wrath a little bit. <laughs> do do you feel this will be my last question? Do you feel that you're having kind of this little bit of the same problem that maybe you had with Michael Chandler the first time? Is that sense of like, look, these guys are all really tough, but you don't know really who they are, and watching a lot of their background fights stylistically, like <clears throat> you haven't really been around. Like you've only been there with what two years now you've been there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I feel like sometimes top fighters, they go through that motivation factor. Like with Foylong, you you understood he was the former champion, beat him. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? Like, do you need like tight, it feels you're like, saying like title implications? Like Yeah, you need, you need you need that motivation. It feels yeah. like you need the motivation from what everything you've told me from tonight is you need the motivation to someone to light a fire under your ass. To say, hey, this guy right here is going to get me that title shot. Yeah, I mean, am I get? Am I hearing that? Yeah, luckily there's like a lot of really tough guys like there. Like luckily there's a, there's a lot of they have a like a pretty deep weight class at at like I consider welterweights one seventy. I'm a, I'm a little bit undersized for the for the weight class, but it's it's um it's lightweight there, um because mm-hmm. it's it's a hydrated weigh in, but guys are like it's it's a odd weight class for me like just because yeah. i'm a little bit i'm a little bit shorter in stature but um there's really tough guys they're they're not known here in the united states but like as a fighter i'm just like for my job just like i did for every promotion's job to get find a way to the world title like find a way yeah. to beat the best guys go after the best guys and beat them and then get your hands on the world title so that's the goal the goal is to you know win the win the triple crown just uh continue to beat the best guys in that division and work my way to the title. I don't know how long. And, and the champion, the champion's Oak, you know, yeah, I, now he is the me, guy. You, I, to guy me, you I beat built, him. You built so I don't, I beat the champion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how long your contract is. Is there any chance that we see you back in the States fighting, even if it's with one or with another promotion before you end your career? Well, I know that one, I know that one's been, um, you know, they've been pretty much hitting around big time about coming to the United States. And I've 
been getting calls from promoters here, you know, saying that they're hearing more stuff about one coming to the United States. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm kind of, I'm hopeful about that. But uh, even if not, we're on TNT. Um, it's, it's, it's here in America. And um, they've been kind of adjusting the timing to be live in the United States at, at a good time. So um, you never know, man. I don't, I don't, I mean, I, this game, this game's so silly and things happen so quickly. Um, you, you just, I just, you just never know. Well, you never thought Elite XC was going to go, just go, or Bodog was just going to go away and then you'd end up Elite XC and then Elite XC would just go away and then you'd end up, you know, wherever, you know, it's like you, <laughs> the shit happens, man. That's just how it all works out. But you've done a pretty good job of figuring your way through the shit and fucking rising to the top, my friend. So good stuff, brother. And uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It was great chatting with you. Finally getting down to, to pick your brain and hear about all the good stories, especially some of the old ones with Joaquin. <laughs> that was good, brother. Thank, thank you. Thank, uh, God, I was just going to say thank you, Josh. I mean, like every every fighter, lightweight-wise, that, that comes before me, I have to give an O to. I have to say thank you to because, like, you. you draw inspiration from each – each guy that you kind of watch before you, whether like I had George St. Pierre, I had everyone like, like Eves. I remember running up to Eves at a, at a local event here in Atlantic city, like geek, like geeked out, you know, like <laughs> you guys came before me, you guys paid my way and inspired me. So like, thank you. And Big John seeing you on TV and like, then finally being in the UFC and you come in a locker room and set me straight before I went out there. I'm like, <laughs> just that. Like you guys said, like we're we're incredibly we're in a incredibly blessed position where the worst thing that can happen to us is we you know we lose we lose a, f- a fist fight and that's yeah. that's not a bad thing at all. No, it's not. Hey, just want to tell you, you've always been a class act, and thank you for everything. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you answering my call because you didn't have to do that. Brother. So, the best to you and your family. A Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, whatever it is, all of that. Thank you uh, for just being who you are, man. All right, guys, I want to thank one of our sponsors, MyBookie.ag. Listen to that again, MyBookie.ag, and use our promo code WAYNEIN. I saw John give me that dirty look because I said, I'm going to say that one more time, MyBookie.ag. Use our promo code WAYNEIN or that QR code right there, and that'll give you guys a little extra spending cash for whatever gambling bets you decide that you want to throw down, whether it's this weekend's fights, the UFC has some huge fights coming up, and... There's other events as well coming up. The whole NFL has a tons of football games. You've got Thursday night football. You've got this weekend's games. You also got the Monday night games. So there's some good games coming on this weekend. Basketball is now starting to pick out. And of course, one of my all-time favorites is hockey. So there's plenty of things to bet on. Go ahead and search through there. MyBookie.ag. Use that promo code Wayne in. You guys are going to like it, man. There's a lot of options that they give you. You can do the in-between round betting. You can do the each round betting. You can do knockouts, submissions. Whatever you want, but this weekend's fight should be fun. Should be great. I shouldn't say fun. It should be great. It'll be fun and great for us all watching, sitting on our couch, not taking any damage like I used to. I'm very thankful for that, but I'm also thankful for mybookie.ag. Use that promo code Wayne in. Tell them the Big John, Josh Thompson podcast, Dave sent you from Wayne in. Use that promo code. Amazing that it took us that long to get Eddie Alvarez on the show because we've talked to him too many times. Said, "Hey, we need John Street." He says, "Yeah, I'll do it." Never seemed to get there. Well, finally. We got the underground king here. He had a lot of good things to say. I love what he talked about. He was so honest about pay and what he's done. He's the kind of person that you want young fighters to listen to so they get an idea of what's important 
he talked about, you know, don't try to be this big guy, you know, be, be that guy that's doing things. So other promoters want you all the good things and all that good information. You can't ask for anything more. He's a wealth of knowledge and a great individual. Yeah, it made a lot of sense when he was saying, make sure that you're a mainstay in the small community that you're at. Like, people can't live without you. They love watching you fight, put butts in the seats. And that was brilliant because that's really how a lot of these top-level fighters all got started. They were very successful in the small little circuits they were in. And, you know, the mystique of them grew all the way up to the UFC or to Bellator or whatever organization that was looking out for them going, hey, you know what, I want that fighter. So he did that right. And then a lot of it, a lot of it too was just right time, right place for him. You know, with the, with the, um, what was it? It was uh Bodog first and then Bodog went away. Then Elite XC, then Elite, Elite XC went away. And guess what came along right at the right time? Bellator came along, you know, and it was under different, uh, CEO, different owner, different everything back then. But he, like he said, he got paid a ton of money, you know, to leave and to go there because his last name was Alvarez. Brilliant. Brilliant idea by Bellator, but it was brilliant by him just to be like, yeah, this is not even a conversation. Let's just go ahead and take the money. Absolutely. And then he went, you know, and he was successful there. Did, did, did big, he did big things there. And then, you know, and then I, the rest of his, his kind of history, man, he went from Bellator to the UFC, became the champ there. All of those things, a lot of it's timing, but it's also right decisions. You know, like, look, if this is not what I'm happy with, then let's bounce out and get out of here and go somewhere else. And it's it was brilliant because I'm sure that when Scott Coker took over, there was a lot of talk in terms of let's how can we keep Eddie? You know, and, and Eddie, when if you guys during that conversation, you understood, you know, there were some things that, you know, we I think the Eddie situation could have potentially been worked out. But I he thinks that, you know, otherwise, I think that he was very up. Um. Uh, upfront about a lot of things in this interview and i really appreciate that because it's hard to get that out of, out of some people you know and the reality is it's nice to talk to someone that's just very direct and upfront about whatever it is they were going through at that time you know if you so, go back interview. to that you go back to that situation though eddie had won the title scott could have kept him he had it yeah <clears throat> and scott let him go because he's not happy here and i don't want to have yeah. someone that's not happy and scott had just taken over and i think it was the right thing for Eddie, I think it was the right thing for Bellator at the time. I'm, I'm sure they would have loved to have kept him. But when someone's not happy, you don't want that, you know, as part of your promotion because you, it's just going to be conflict. And so, yeah, I do know that Coker really liked him. Oh liked yeah, him a lot. He wanted the, I know that he wanted to keep him. But look, there's been so much and so long of them just being disgruntled with each other. And then even though Scott had just taken over, the peep, some of the people that were still with the company were the ones that Eddie was upset with. So. I mean, maybe they're not there anymore, you know, but whatever it is. But they, with him, it was just, he felt like it was just not enough, you know, with Eddie. So Eddie just said, like, look, I'm going to go, you know, and, and like you were right. Scott was said, could have kept him, could have made, could have kept him there and made him unhappy. Even yeah. more unhappy. That's not how you want to build your relationships. Oh. So well played by Coker and uh, good stuff, man. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into some news. Let's talk about the UFC. UFC's got a huge card this weekend. Who did they lose? Who did they lose on this card? Wasn't there supposed to be another co uh, Not it was like a second. Wasn't there a big fight that was on this card? Wasn't it Leon? Yeah, it was Leon and Masvidal. Yeah, and Masvidal. Yeah, okay, yeah. that okay. I was like, I felt like there was three big time fights on this card. There now, was. Don't get me wrong. The rest of the card is pretty stacked, man. It's pretty yeah. damn stacked. But I'm just saying, like in terms of like there was the Leon and the uh, and the Masvidal fight was supposed to happen on this card as well. Um, all right, you want to go from the top? Let's go right into Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier. Fuck yes. 
<laughs> Bro, I, still got, I still got people in the comment section trying to tell me that I'm saying his name wrong. You guys, I don't give a shit. <laughs> this is, I say his name just Poirier? Dustin Poirier. <laughs> Everyone's like, no, it's Poirier. Oh, well. Poirier. No. And I'm like, gosh, no. you guys. Let it be. Doesn't hey, Dustin. Matter. His name's Dustin. That's it. I'll call him Dustin for you guys now. Uh, Oliveira and Poirier. <laughs> they're getting on uh, this weekend, man. I'm stoked for this fight. I'm telling you, the styles of which they're going to, like the styles in which they're going to have to fight each other. Dustin's got to be very careful on every transition when they're in the clinch. Ooh. Every tran What, you don't think so? Oh, no. Absolutely. Oh, agree? I absolutely okay. agree with you. Every transition when they're in the clinch, every type of position where his head is down, if his head gets down to right below the chin, he's got to be very careful there as well. You're looking at a different level type of jiu-jitsu guy. When I say how good he is, he's extremely good. But his style is very effective for the weight class that he's in. You know, I thought his style was very good for the 145, but he, he had a hard time with sometimes he cut too much weight. That was one. Two was the speed was a factor. He's not the fastest of guys. He's very technical. He's defensively sound. His push kick and his jab are very effective. Um, but his grappling is obviously second to none. It's very damn. I think he's the best grappler in that division, obviously. Um, no, no, no doubt about it. No doubt. No about, doubt it? about okay. it. Okay. You shook your head. No. So I was I'm like, sorry. Did I miss something? What am I thinking? All right. I'm just so, thinking, you're, I'm, I'm thinking how right you are right now. It's this is scaring first for everything. It is friend. scaring the hell out of me. No, you're, keep going, brother. <laughs> oh, it was a first for everything, my friend. Um, but, uh, but overall, I think that Charles right now to me, I thought stylistically he matched up bad against Michael Chandler and it wasn't going well for him in the first round. But as the fight went on, obviously found out that it, he works out just fine, but he finds, he <laughs> finds a way, he finds ways to win. I really like him at this weight class. He's a lot more durable at this weight class. He's just gotta, I think if for him to beat Dustin, he's going to have to be able to stand directly in the, in the center of the cage and he's going to have to be able to touch him with the push kick, keep his chin tucked tight, keep defensively sound, and make Dustin start having to reach, overcommit, throw bigger haymakers to try and get through his defense. If he can do that, I think that Dustin will eventually start opening up, and when he does, he's going to start being able to attack, whether it's takedowns, foot sweeps, clinches, whatever it is. But I will say this, no matter how good of a jitsu guy he is, he wants to avoid being on the bottom. And being on the bottom for a long time. Dustin's he's a good grappler. He's not as good as Char as Charles in the submission area, but he's still good. And so I I'm gonna say that I'm gonna lean a little bit more towards Charles. I like Dustin a lot, but I'm gonna lean towards Charles. But Charles, I want I haven't seen him go into that fifth round yet at this weight class. Yeah. That's the big difference for me. The longer this fight goes. Yeah the more it goes towards Dustin. I think that Dustin has proven that he actually is able to continue to build in a fight and actually make it to where he's getting better as the rounds go on. It's very impressive because a lot, you know, so many guys that are so good, they can't do that. They can't make it to where they're actually starting to fight better in the second round than the, than the first. That one they can get to a point but then the third and the fourth they're fighting better than they did in the first and the second and in the fifth they're just still building that's something that dustin does as well as anybody out there he's got a big gas tank 
at range. If, if this fight stays at range, I think it's Dustin Poirier's. Mm. I think that Charles is good in the stand-up, but not good enough to stay with Dustin at this point of Dustin's career. But when it gets into that phone book area, it starts to change a little bit. You start to get into that phone booth where I said phone book, didn't I? Phone yes, booth. Yes, you did. I was sorry. Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you get into the phone booth. That's a, small, which that's a small area, my we, friend. That phone booth's really small. <laughs> but if you get into the phone booth, which they don't really have anymore unless you go over to Europe, it's Charles is dangerous as far as the way he slips elbows, and he's also dangerous as far as, like you said, he, he gets a guy to start bending their head down, and as soon as he latches on – He's so good with the guillotine choke, and he's so good at setting up different types of attacks, and he's so good at getting your back from those positions. All of a sudden, he's slipping an arm through, and a guy makes one air, and now he's got the back, and now he's in a position where he's just starting to roll. And so I think in the first and the second round, Charles is as dangerous as anybody that Dustin has ever faced. Dangerous. You know, in the stand-up, yeah, he, he you know he's got a very good technical stand-up game, but his ground game is just—it's top-notch. It is just you know that level above that we talk about. You know, when we talk about guys, yeah, this guy, you know, he's good, but this guy is world class. Well, in MMA jujitsu, it doesn't get any better than Charles Oliveira. Mm-hmm. He is special in that area, and so. Dustin needs to be incredibly careful. He's already been in with people that, you know, he's had problems with on the ground that are specialists in that area, like Khabib, where he had problems once that fight got to the ground. And it doesn't mean that, you know, he's not great down there. He's just not that specialist like Charles is. Charles is, he's in that position of being one of the very best when it comes to submissions with MMA rules, gloves, everything that you take into account, and the ability to attack the entire body. He's not just going after the neck all the time. He will go after the arms. He will go after the calf slicers. He'll go after the heel hooks. He's got the full, complete tool set there to work with. So this is a phenomenal matchup. I I, I do believe that the, the early winner of it leans more towards Charles and the as the fight goes on, I see Dustin coming on and taking the fight over and breaking Charles down. But when you're looking at this kind of fight, it's the best because either guy, either guy can win this. And it's going to be just a phenomenal matchup between two of the best. So, But that's what you want from your title fight. Hell you want to yes. be able to walk into him and go, you know what? This guy can win this way. This guy can win this way. But they can also both alter each other's other way of winning. True. So, like, you know, Dustin, even though he's not the best jiu-jitsu guy in terms of how good Charles is, he can negate a lot of the things that he does if he's from the top position. Oh, I yeah. So if he's on the bottom, he's going to have a lot of trouble with Charles yeah. Oliveira on the bottom. Yeah. You know, that's not where you want to be. Because anytime his I've seen him, Dustin, start to get up, he kind of turns his back a tiny bit. A lot of fighters do that. But you can't do that to someone like a Charles Oliveira. Now, I do think for Dustin, he needs to get started earlier on the body work because Charles Oliveira stands so straight upright. He keeps his kind of hands up by his head, so it opens up the body a lot. That may be a, a recipe for him to start getting started early on that to start to slow Charles Oliveira down as the fight goes on. 
I also believe that Charles would slow down regardless by the fourth and fifth round. He will slow down because what people don't get is that push kick. That takes a lot of energy. Anytime you're kicking, and he utilizes that thing a lot, almost like as if it's a jab. So when you're using that, you're pushing on someone else's body as they're normally stepping in. That's a lot of strength and a lot of energy to get that foot up to waist high every single time. And he uses it like a jab, so it's popping out there quite a bit. I think it just comes naturally to him. Now it's very effective, but he's got to make sure that he minimizes that in a, excuse me, in a five-round fight. He's got to be cautious of using it too much early in the fight. And But then if he doesn't utilize it, Dustin's going to be ripping that body and coming back up top to the head. I give the power advantage, obviously, to, to Dustin. I give the boxing advantage to Dustin. I give the kicking advantage, depending on if Dustin starts to go to the calf. And does Charles, what he does, because he stands so upright, he lifts the leg pretty well. So will he miss that calf? Will that set him up to be kicked and countered right back? Because Charles got really good kicks. He's got really good boxing. Everything's tight and defensive. So it comes out very smooth and it flows. If he can stand his ground and make Dustin not, not allow Dustin to push him back, Charles I think has a good chance of making Dustin, like I said earlier, overcommit on something and possibly get into a submission. But Dustin's got to be very cautious anytime they're against the fence, anytime his head is down by the chin or lower, down by the chest. That's not a good situation to be in. You know, um, and he's got to be very careful of the legs as well. That Those leg locks, the transitions into the sweeps from the bottom, all of those things can be an issue and a problem. Yeah, so, it's, but like you said, this is what makes it fun. This is what, yeah. these are the kind of fights that you look look at and you go, oh yeah. Because, you know, there's going to be some, I knew that Charles was going to win. I knew that Dustin was going to win. You got a 50-50 chance and there's no way of knowing either way yeah. exactly how this is going to go. This is this is as good a matchup as you can get. But what I have seen from Charles that's gotten better though is his wrestling, and maybe it was just maybe it was was just because it was against Tony. But then he had you know he's had some good wrestling moments. So in terms of him maybe being able to get a takedown or two and being on the top position, if he's able to do that early, I think it changes the dynamic of the fight. Because if he can get a takedown or two early in the fight and not force the stand, I think that that will slow Dustin down himself. And having to struggle to be from the bottom. Dustin's been proven to be a dog like against the hooker and against, you know, Khabib in that type of situation. He went through a lot of adversity in, in both those fights early in the fight. It didn't turn out so well against Khabib, but never, it didn't, no one else has ever turned out that well against Khabib. <laughs> and so, no. but with Hooker, though, I mean, he weathered the storm. He worked his way through. They made some adjustments and they came out and had success in the later rounds. So there's, there's a, I think there's a, there's a way, there's a path. That they can take, but they may, you guys may see some adjustments or hear some adjustments in the corner as the fight goes on. So pay attention when they go to the corners and listen to what they're saying because they may, they may change how they approach this fight as it goes on. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We got the monster Amanda Nunez. She's awesome. She's just, she's a sweet person. She's not a monster. Oh, she's a sweetheart. I love her. But, She's a monster in the cage against Juliana Pena. What do you think about this one? Uh, I, I give it, I give it maybe two rounds, and it's nothing against Juliana. Just her stand up is just not enough. I don't know if her wrestling's enough to get her down. Strength wise, I give it to to Amanda. I do think that Juliana, if she is able to get her down, she will have a chance. Not a very good chance though. I say I give it thirty percent. But if she can get if she can get Amanda down several times, what I mean by several times is she's gonna probably have to get her down at least two or three times in the first because Amanda will be fresh. 
But going in the second and the third, she's going to have to get her down at least twice in the second. And going on further, she's going to have to get her down at least once or twice in each round going further. And that's going to be hard for her because Amanda will slow down if you're able to take her down. I've seen it yes. in the past. She slows down when she's having to be on bottom, when she's been taken down or she's forced to grapple and wrestle a lot. She does slow down and it takes the steam off of her shots. And they don't come out as fast. They come out a little, a little labored. And on top of that, they don't come out as clean and crisp. So if Juliana can make it a dog fight without getting caught up in, in exchange and getting knocked out, you know, I just I think that that's the only way she's going to have a chance. She's got to get her down. She's got to make her carry her weight. She's got to put heavy pressure on her. She's got to try to get to the back or the mount and make and make Amanda make a mistake. That's the only I, way I see her winning. I truly believe Juliana Pena can win this fight. I think styles make fights. And if there's one thing about Juliana Pena, she is that gritty grappler. She will not change her game plan. She will not get pulled out of what she does. She's not going to try to be this stand-up fighter going against Amanda. She knows that Amanda has very good striking, and, and she could be taken out in the first round, no doubt about it. You know That could happen. She could hit with shots that could hurt her, and Amanda could end the fight. But the farther this fight goes, if Juliana is able to get this fight, to get to into that third round and has the ability, just like you're saying, to get the takedowns. You got to give me a takedown in the first round and you got to give me a takedown in the second round. And I don't care where it comes. Obviously, if it comes early in that round, much better because I do not see Amanda getting away from her on the ground. Juliana has got great base. She's got very heavy hips and she's able to control her opponents very well she's got good ground and pound and the more that she can just make amanda work and work hard to either get back to a good position or trying to get herself back up that's what you need amanda is a fast twitch muscle fiber athlete she's explosive and when she is in control of the pace she can go the five rounds no problem. But when she's not in control of the pace, she can be pushed to the point where she starts to actually fall off of that cliff. Yeah. We've seen it before. You know, Kat Zingano, you go back and watch the fight that she had. You know, Amanda was winning that fight to the point where when Kat got her tired based upon grappling situations, and it's not that Amanda can't grapple. She can, but that's where she blows up. That's where her arms get heavy. And like you said, when she, if she does get back to her feet, instead of that sh that you know right hand snapping out like it always does, she starts to push it because her arms are heavy and it's just not the same. This is a fight that you know when when I look at you know all the different ones and everyone's you know just they're bandwagoning on Amanda and I understand why, but this is what I look at and go, Juliana, she's got a chance. Let I really believe you, she's got a good chance. Is this at one thirty five? Yes. That's the other thing that kind of absolutely me. it is the first time back down to that and weight class, especially with a couple the cardio years. and with the cardio because having to cut that weight, how has her weight been coming down? Has she been keeping it in check? I'm sorry, but I mean, I, I know it's I'm just doing it off strictly off observation. I've seen some clips of her in terms of not in the gym training, but when she was at Kayla Harrison's fight. She was there for that event. And then she mm -hmm. was at another event that they showed pictures of her, they interviewing and stuff like that. She still looks pretty big like you know what i mean like she still looks 
she's always she's always kind of looked like she's been you know obviously a little bit bigger. I think most of the girls at one thirty five, given that she carries the weight so well at one forty five, but she possesses that power. But that first weight cut back down to the other weight, that I want to know. I want to know how much that's going to take a toll on her as the fight Mm -hmm. goes on. It goes with anybody. It's not just her. It goes with any fighter that's cutting that amount of weight, trying to get themselves back down. She's jumping from weight class to weight class. And it's also, let me remind you guys, it's way harder for females to get their weight to come down than it is for males. We jump in in 10 minutes, you know, and we can lose five, six pounds in a sauna. That does not, that does not always apply to females. The majority of them cannot do that. They jump in, you know, if they're in a sauna, they do a bath, whatever it is, they're going to lose two, three pounds. It takes them probably a good 30, 25, 30 minutes for them to lose the same amount of weight that a male weight loses. So, um, don't get me wrong. Some of them can do it. It really depends on how well you hydrate your body, how well you, your diet, and how clean your diet has been. All of those things. But you guys got to remember playing that. That This is a factor of Juliana, the way for her to win, like John and I have been saying, is, is to drag her a little bit into deeper waters, but to, but to make her grapple, to make her even use it, that energy and pummeling. And, even in the stand-up clinch, mm-hmm. you know, all that pummeling, all that putting pressure down on her arms, making her carry your weight, all those things, even if it's standing. They all start to add up. Yep. Yeah. Overall, though, I think I, I think I still am going to go with Amanda John, no matter That's what. That's okay. We're I understand saying. that. Yeah. I'm still going to go with Amanda. Um. You know, Juliana is going to. It's going to. Here's the thing with Juliana: the more energy she uses trying to get the takedown, when she doesn't get it, Amanda's going to make her pay. So she's going to have to make sure that she gets at least one or two of those takedowns in the first and try to hold her down. If she's able to get her down in the first, like I said, once maybe twice and hold her down, she may have success going into that second and that third round which is just going to snowball effect the takedowns will potentially get easier depending on how great a shape um, um juliana pena is yep. in. uh jeff neal and ponsonibio man it's, it's i'm i'm wondering about neil you know you had the little incident that happened you got arrested that whole thing how is that playing out with his entire you know situation of his training and his weight cut and all these things How's the planning? John, John playing remind out me. Look, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. Remind me when he got arrested for what? You know, I was. Uh, I think I want to say Dave. Can you pull that up for us? But go ahead. Let's. Uh, we'll keep talking about as Dave pulls it up. You think you're wondering how much that's going to affect his performance? Because I am. I mean, I, from from my, you know what I was told, it's all misdemeanor stuff, so it's not like it's uh, the end of the world. You know, getting arrested uh, is no not, not that big a thing, no, but it was a DWI. And you weapons know, charges. When was that? Was oh, that a weapons year ago? charges too. But that was a year yeah. ago. No, no, no. This was oh, no. just just. Passed. Oh, one day and ago. Sorry, November sorry. Yeah, November twenty fifth, last week, man. That's what I'm saying. So I have a question. He got arrested DWI. Yeah. And you're fighting the next week. Yeah. Driving while intoxicated. Yeah. Well, you can bail out. No, no, John. You're drinking, but the week before you're fighting. Thank you. That's my That's whole point. Yeah. Okay. 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 Wow. Yeah. It, it's like, well, what were you thinking? What are you doing? Why were you drinking? To the point of Jeez. you actually got arrested for this. So not only were you doing something that you shouldn't have been doing if you're serious in your camp, but now you've got Jeez. to add the, the whole mental aspect of it. I just don't know. I look at it right now and I'm looking at these. I, this is Ponzinibbio's fight. You know, Jeff. Yeah. just showing me that he's just not focused on what he's supposed to be doing. you know. And I think he's a, a fantastic fighter. I love watching the guy. He's got heavy hands. 
He's you know he's always coming forward in the fights, but I just look at it in this matchup. You know, I say Ponzinibbio is the guy that I believe is going to win it just based upon mental you know health and everything that he's going through right now compared to what Jeff Neal's going through. Yeah. Look, one of the biggest fights on this card for me is because uh, I did the fight campaign with Brendan Schaub and Cody was on it, and we were talking about him going to 25, possibly staying at 35, whatever it was. Well, he decided to go to 25. <clears throat> now, I don't know how long he's going to stay there, depending on how hard the weight cut is and all of those things. I mean, T.J. Dillashaw went from 35 to 25, and it didn't pan out well. Cody's going down. I saw pictures of Cody. He looks fucking shredded, and I'm in, like, veins coming out of his legs up to his belly. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's what Cody, that's what uh, TJ looked like, yep. you know? So the chin, remember you guys, the chin's not always the same after that type of weight cut. You've drained all the fluid out of your body. Well, guess what your brain's in? Your brain's in fluid. So you've got to make sure that, that you keep yourself hydrated. Hopefully you hydrate properly. And, but this fight to me, it, it makes for a fun fight because Kai Car France is, he's tough. He's, he's a stand-up guy. He's a stand-up guy. Yeah. But I would still give the power to Cody. You know, you just got to be careful and cautious. But when you drop weights, they are what, John? What do we say? Speed fast, kills. man. Fast. fast. Now, so Cody's now always been fast, but he's not going to be any faster than yeah. Kai Car of France. Yeah, he's always had that at 135. He mm -hmm. was the, he had the, the, he had the speed and the power. And speed kills and the power he possesses for that weight class is fucking incredible. I mean, God, I wish I had that power. <laughs> like... His power at 135, and maybe I didn't have that at 155. So it was like, but he's he's fighting Kai Car. It's going to be a stand-up fight. I believe it's going to be a stand-up fight. They're yeah. going to throw some dogs. It's going to come down to who can get to whose chin first and how well can Cody's chin come um, hold up based off of the weight cut. I don't want to get into anything that happened in the past. Okay, I'm talking about how, how will his chin hold up now with, after that weight cut. I think I'm going to give the speed and the power advantage to Cody the overall wits of the fight in terms of, you know, like who he's been in there with. He's been in there with the top level fighters in the world. Mm -hmm. And he's had success against some guys like Dominic Cruz, other fighters as well. So when I look at that, I'm going to lean towards Cody. It also depends on how he handles the low leg kicks that Kaikara France mm -hmm. brings into this because he does leave his leg out there and other guys have been able to chop at that leg. And if France is able to take his time and just systematically keep on attacking that leg and just picking him apart with it, it's going to start to give Cody problems and Cody's going to start to reach. That will leave the opening. And Kaikara France has the skill level that he can take advantage of it. You're right. I give the power to Cody. I think the speed is going to be basically, you know, it's a tie. Uh, I think the experience as far as Cody's got less fights than Kai Kara France, but at least in fighting top-level opponents. Obviously, Cody's got that over uh, France, but this is one of those ones I don't like guys dropping down, especially yeah. at a lower weight going down a full 10 pounds, and he can look as ripped as you know yeah. he is. That doesn't mean that it's a good thing for him health-wise and that he is in a position to fight well and accept punishment through punches, we'll see. Maybe maybe he is, but as you said, you know, we saw with TJ. TJ got hit with a decent shot. It wasn't a big shot, but it just disrupted him because of the big weight cut. Yeah, you can look at look guys, if 
what you look like won you titles, certain guys would be world champions 10 times over. And certain okay? guys never would be, but they are. Exactly. Cain <laughs> Velasquez is one to talk about. Oh, yeah. Like, you look at him, you go, this guy never should never have been champion. Well, but Daniel what? Cormier always had a bodybuilder-type physique. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. Always. <laughs> you know, come on. It's not about how you look. Yeah. It's how you perform. Yep. Um, okay, so Sean O'Malley's fighting uh, Paeva. Paeva, yeah. Paeva's good, you know, and that's yeah. wow, this is one of those ones. I you know, I, I I love the fact that Sean O'Malley has such confidence in what he does. He is ranked above Paeva, but Paeva is gonna be he's gonna be with him. I, I think again, I look at Paeva, it's good on the ground, but I think O'Malley's actually better. I mean, as far as MMA grappling and everything. I don't think O'Malley's going to go to the ground with him. I think he's going to try to stick and move and stay on the you know the outside, use his length, and pick him apart in the stand-up, and we'll see if Paeva can stop that. Uh, this is a very – it's a close matchup. This is a good fight. Yeah, Paeva's going to go right to the calf kick. As soon as possible, go right to the calf kick. I think, you know, because he keeps – O'Malley keeps a wide stance. He used that long-range jab. Every time you jab, the power behind the jab is not – as effective as the straight right. Now, when you throw that, when you throw that jab, what happens is you slide in on that on that lead leg. When you have a wide stance already, it makes it easier to kick that leg. Yeah. So I know that Paiva's got he's got the ability to go out go out there and and put him put him away. It just the speed and the endurance of O'Malley that he possessed in his last fight, right when he fought a green haired guy. Yeah. yeah, it was it was impressive. The amount of output that he had on top of the amount of connection that he was making was very impressive very impressive and i and chris was on t- he kept coming forward kept coming forward so overall though i think uh you know o'malley gets it done gets ready to start negotiating that other contract hopefully and um yeah but look the next fight is josh emmett who's making a long way to return and he's fighting dan Ige. dan Ige is my boy man i love watching him fight he's a gamer comes out always tries to put it down Good guy, good wrestling, good on top. I've grappled with him. I've wrestled with him a little bit and trained with him. You know, uh, he's a stud, man. And he doesn't he doesn't turn fights down. He'll go out there and get after it on anybody. Absolute stud. Josh Emmett. I want to know what he's like coming from his return. And Josh is a little bit older now. What is Josh? Thirty six. I don't know. I want to say thirty five. Thirty six. Yeah. Thirty six. So he's thirty six, but he possesses the power. And the last thing to go is the power. So it's a matter of whether he can get, uh, you know, if, and can he stop Dan's takedowns and the pressure that Dan brings? And can he fight moving backwards? I mean, Dan's can, someone that will try to clinch him, press him to the fence, and get him to the ground. Emmett's got good wrestling, though. He, he's, yeah, he he's, does. He's very adept at his defensive wrestling. He's very difficult to take down. I think both of their wrestling is almost going to negate each other. They're, they're going to have a hard time. And they're gonna they're gonna work hard if they're trying to get the other guy down, and if they're gonna basically stop doing it, to where it's gonna be who knocks who down. Yeah, that's how you're gonna get that takedown. And I think Emmett has the advantage in the power. Uh, Ige is tough as hell and can take a big shot though, and has proved that you know he can take a shot and keep coming back. So this is one of those you know you can't say anything bad about either guy. The real question in this one is. If he wasn't coming off an injury, I say Josh Emmett has the advantage in the fight. Yeah. Coming off of the injury, I'm not sure because you just don't know where he's at. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure his knee is better and everything, but you, ne- you never know how someone returns off of that. 
True. Uh, okay, so this is one for the makings. You have the legend, you know, and Dominic <laughs> Cruz. He's fighting Pedro Munoz. There's a lot of talk right now because, you know, Sean O'Malley's talking hella shit about I'm on the main card. Dominic's the, you know, on the prelims, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I mean, why? what's your take on, what's your take on that? Okay. Well, he's, he's on the prelims. Dominic's on the prelims because that's how the UFC does business. <laughs> that's what that's what it is. Like, okay, you're this age. Okay. And we got to push you down a little bit. And uh, move on, and that's really what it comes down to. Like, that- and you look, you have both guys. You know, Pedro's coming off of a loss to uh, Jose Aldo. Oh, no, Jose. Jose Aldo, that's right, Jose. Yeah, you know, and he, he had a loss. You're right to, to Frankie also, but Jose Aldo is his last one. And Dominic's coming off of, I think, a win, wasn't he? He got a win in his last one, wasn't it? Against, yeah, he did. Uh, Casey uh, Kenny. Casey Kenny, I believe. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah, Jesus, man, we talk about so many fights. I'm so hard yeah. to fucking keep. Dude, it's hard to remember sometimes. But it, it it surprises me if Dominic was coming off of a loss. Mm-hmm. I can understand the preliminary slot, but it's what you're talking about. Uh, the UFC is starting to understand that he's not going to be the the guy again. He's not going to win that championship back. So why are we going to put him into the main card? <clears throat> That people are, you know, paying for and watching. Let's put him on the preliminaries. Let's, you know, get some eyeballs on him and stuff like that. But he's not going to be that guy. So let's not put, you know, the effort behind pushing him. Let's push the ones that we think might be in the future. And so, yeah, I think that's why I think that's what Sean O'Malley is talking about and stuff. And yeah. you can't, you can't really argue with him. It's uh, it's almost a shame in in my uh, estimation to see someone like Dominic. With everything he's done, how good he is, you know, it's not even the, you know, as they say, the uh, preliminary main event. That would be yeah. Josh Emmett and Dan Ige. It's yeah. it's below that, and that's that's the part I go. Eh, I think I think he deserves more respect than that. Yeah, but you also have to remember, and you're not sure <clears throat> behind the scenes. I mean, is he no, getting true. more, you know, in terms of. He could be upset. He could have raised up being upset to them, and they could be like, okay, well, you know, we're just going to keep doing this. Like, the last thing you want to do is rock the boat when you're on your way out because you, people that don't rock the boat, they stick around. Look at yep. DC. Look at Bisbing. Look at Felder. They're sticking around because they and, and, you know, they're sticking around because they never rocked the boat. They went out there, did their best to promote their organization, which is smart, and they were always the people that – push that organization to be the best organization in the world. That's what they've done. They've done a great job at doing that. And so Dom needs to, if he wants to stick around doing stuff like that, then you just, these are the positions. Sometimes fighters will be put here. You just got to sometimes suck it up. You've given your life to this organization. You've given your life to the sport. Don't bomb it now with some bitterness over one fight that in four years, five years, no one going to give a shit about. So just just keep toe the line, my friend. Keep toeing the line, you know. But a lot of people know that Dom's very outspoken. He's very uh, he says what's on his mind. Sometimes that can backfire, but majority of the time, that was because he was winning. It doesn't backfire, you know. But so now he's as he gets older, he's got to be cautious. When you're winning, you can say a lot of things. Yep, like I've said, there's that there's that old saying that I picked up a long time ago when I was selling cars at a dealership. The de- the owner of the dealership comes out and he goes, "Look, if you're the number one salesperson in this dealership, you could take my hat off my head and shit it in the middle of the street, and I won't fucking fire you." He's like, "Well, you're not the number one dealership. When you're not the number one de- uh, car salesperson." He's like, "You're fucking gone." It's like you got to be careful what you say. 
But when you're the number one salesperson, you can do whatever the hell you want. So when you're winning fights, you know, and you're on your way to the top, they know that. They're not stupid. They know what's marketable. They know what they can do with you and how much money they can make off of you. So it's true. Yeah. Um, what other fights on this card are you interested in seeing? Uh, I want to see how Ryan Hall comes back. He's fighting against yeah. Derek Miner, who's tough as hell. Very good grappler. Good submission yeah. game. Uh, obviously not the same submission game as Ryan Hall, but I, I look forward to seeing you know that fight. I, it's it's the one on the uh, um, undercard that I really look at that I like. That and Eric Anders versus Andre Muniz. I think that's going to be a very competitive fight. Good fight. Muniz is a stud. Eric Anders is uh, sometimes off and on. Sometimes he comes out, man, and he's just on fire, and he just looks fantastic. And then other times... It looks like he just got gets tired fast. I don't know if it's yeah. the cut or what, but I look forward to seeing how he does. Good stuff. All right, well, that's going to wrap up our talk right now about the UFC and this upcoming event. Um, it's going to be a good card, man. I'm excited. But it you is. know what? First, go ahead. It's going to be a good card, right, John? Yes, sir. Tell me. Tell me I'm right. Please tell me these guys are going to go out there and these females uh, are going to go out there and lay it all out. Once again, the punk has has hit the bell. You're right. It's going to be a great card. <laughs> i've been on point all day today Damn, yeah look at you yeah buddy all right but hey before we leave you guys we want to get into weighing in on the odds which is our special yeah. segment that we give you guys a full breakdown of the main event and the co-main event you know and moving a little bit here and there and some other fights that we think maybe you guys can make some money on so remember if you guys take a look at our weighing interject on our weighing interjection but our weighing in on the odds segment which you're about to hear from us right now Use that promo code weighing in, okay, and the QR code that's attached to it. If you guys do that at mybookie.ag, they will give you a little extra cash if it's your first time betting on their site. Also, listen to our advice. Take it or leave it. It's up to you guys. But I do know there has been some fights. We've made a lot of people a lot of money. So hear us out. We're going to try to plea with you and say what we think is best for, for betting and, you know, take it or don't. But, hey. Use that promo code Wayne in if you guys are going to use mybookie.ag. All right, so Wayne in on the odds is brought to you by mybookie.ag. And uh, let's go right from the top, man. Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier. So let's now I can't even say his name because I keep thinking I have to say it the other way. Jeez, man. <laughs> Don't worry Charles about is it. A, Charles it's that is Dustin the under, guy. Yeah, J Charles is the underdog. He's I the know. underdog is the champion. Crazy. Plus, at pl plus 135. Crazy. And take a look at the over-under. That's the one that I just look at and go, you're crazy. Jeez. A round and a half. You know how hard it is to get rid of a really good fighter in a round and a half? I look at that and I go, they have lost their minds. I will take the over any day. I'll pay the minus 180. I don't care. I'll put $200 down easy to win my money because that to me is... It's not a nothing's a guarantee in this world. He can come out and in ten seconds the fight's over, but at a round and a half, that's a, there's a lot of fighting left, and uh, I just look at that as I don't think I would go with uh, the under on that one. Why do you think they're going with that? Because Charles is a finisher, someone yep. who generally gets people out of there. Yeah, I think they're looking at oh he's you know he has fast finishes, he can submit him. Poirier's got power. You know, he got rid of he got rid of Connor within basically that amount of time, mm -hmm. you know, twice. That's I think that's the way they're looking at it. But it's not easy to get rid of a, a good fighter 
that fast, hmm. you know? So I look in the, again, I, I try not to bet with my heart. If I have a fighter like Charles Oliveira that I can put a hundred dollars down to win more money than I put down, mm-hmm. he's the underdog. Guess what? That's where I'm going to go. You know, I you know, he has the ability to win that fight. No doubt about it. Interesting. Yeah, I would agree with you. I mean, like, look, when you get to these top level fighters, yes. especially someone like Charles and someone like Dustin, where you're trying to figure out who's going to win the fight. When you break it down, someone's got to be successful in their game plan. Yep. It, a round and a half is like they're just honestly, they know they're going five. That first round is a fill out round. I'm sure they're yeah. going to get after it. But neither one of these fighters are someone that comes out and sets a fast pace right off the bat. They stick and move. They fill each other. They they know what's at stake. When you look at other fighters that are not so smart and they just come out and fight recklessly, I won't mention any names, <clears throat> Chandler. Um, but like you look at guys like that, right, or people like that, they just just come out and fight recklessly, and that's what happens. I can see that being the round and a half it happening, and that's what happened. So yeah. Anyways, uh, I agree with you, John. I agree with you. But uh, Charles Oliveira on the plus one thirty five, and then uh, Dustin Poirier on the minus one six five. I mean, what are you thinking? I, I, w- I wouldn't touch the bet. It's too close. I, I would take I would take Charles Oliveira. Really? Yeah. Anytime I have an underdog that can absolutely win that fight, why would I ever go the other way? Well, I like my money. <laughs> <laughs> See, the round round and a half made sense. You know Does. what I mean? The round and a half makes sense. The the bet that this like when they both have a really good chance of winning the fight. I just like kind of, and when the odds are this close, you're going to spend, you know, 135. I just, uh, I, no thanks, man. I would just pass. <laughs> you know me. I like pass? the, I like the big over the top odds or the none. Like, you know, like when we get into the next one here, Juliana Pena, Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena is plus 535 and Amanda mm-hmm. is minus 835. And I would put a hundred dollars down on Juliana Pena. Absolutely. Yep. All damn day. I would See? take it. Yep. All damn. There's a lot that you guys, if you guys need to understand, is that she's making her first weight cut back down to 135 from 145 after being there for I don't know how long. How long has she been there for? Two and a half years now? Yeah. Maybe more? Yeah, well, she's she been had, there. At, her last fight at 135 was what, Jermaine? Yeah, that wasn't that at, that was at 45. No, yeah. was that at 45 or was that at 35? No, I'm pretty I sure think it was, was at 45. Because yeah. remember, remember, Jermaine fought at 45 against Holly Holm. For yeah, the title. she did, but then she went back down to 135. I thought that fight was. I think at we've 35. had this discussion before, and I think it was the 135. Yeah, because there's only two fights that she's done at 45 recently. Let's see. Jermaine was. She, uh, she fought Holly Holm Bantam, at 135. Bantamweight, and it was yep. 35. Bantamweight at 135. Yep. It was at Bantamweight. Holly was 35 as well. Yep, that's what I thought. Oh, so wait, who was at Bantamweight? Oh, oh Holly the Holly Holm fight. Jermaine. Oh, the Holly Holm fight. Holly Holm yeah, was, and Jermaine were both. Jermaine fought. Jermaine fought Holly also, and I was thinking that was. I was like, that was it. Because she she fought against Felicia Spencer and Megan yep. Anderson. Those yes. were both in the featherweight. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, yeah, I thought the Jermaine fight was at forty five because Jermaine was the former champion there. Yeah. So I thought that fight was at forty five. Understandable. Gosh. All right. Well, anyway, so it's been how long though? What What was the time frame on that, Dave? Uh, she fought her last him, fight uh, at bantamweight. Uh, it was almost like two years ago, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, almost two years ago, exactly. Interesting. Okay. I mean, so two years away, you know, got to get the weight back down. 
got a baby now. She's got that baby weight. <laughs> you know, I got to cut the baby weight. So, uh, but no, I would definitely put a hundred dollars down on it. I would say maybe even at least a hundred dollars down. I'd say maybe you get up to the 200 range because the, the return on the investment is good. If you can get the get the win. Um, the over is am I right? o- over, the over under is again. one and a half and under yeah. is one and a half. I think she goes more than the, the round and a half either way. I think you think Juliana goes more than a round and a half. Yep. I do. Ooh. See, I'd have a harder time taking that bet because you're, I know you're worried that, about the stand-up. I'm worried about the power. Jeez, I know man. that's the stand-up. Yeah, that's the hard. I know that's just the power. I mean, she, she if she gets on top of Juliana, she could be over too. <laughs> you know, could be. Um, it could be. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I would say that. I don't know how much I'd go in on that though. I don't know. I don't think I would. I would avoid that bet, but I would take the other bet yeah. for sure. All right, and then you have Kai Carfrance, and then you've got Cody Garbrock. Kai uh, France is plus 105, and Cody is minus 135. See, this is another one of those close ones, John. I would just stay away from it and yeah. not knowing how his how Cody's chin That's, is and how he's you, gonna feel. You just said the whole thing, knowing that you know this is his first time at 125. I would sidestep it and say I'll, I'll just wait to see how he performs, mm-hmm. and then maybe the next time. But since I since it is brand new, he hasn't been at 125. I don't think I would touch it. All right, all right. Let's go on down here, Dave. Uh, so the only other main card fight is the Sean O'Malley and uh, Raleigh and Paiva. 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 Okay. So yeah, Paiva at plus 240, and you got Sean O'Malley at minus 300. Yeah, yeah. I would go with Paiva. Ah, you know, Paiva can win man. that fight. He could. Paeva could he win could. that fight, and if, at at plus two forty, I can't I can't put I can't put you know three hundred dollars down to win a hundred with Sean because it's there he's fighting a tough dude, mm-hmm. and so I'll go with the underdog that hey, he can win that fight. I've watched him enough; he's that good a fighter. You know, he's got like what three three losses against twenty some wins. Yeah, pretty goddamn good fighter. <sighs> Yeah, I think if he gets after Sean's legs quick and slows him down so he can't move as much, you know, and he's able to hit that calf kick, I think he's got a good chance. You know, he's got to make sure he just keeps his defense on point and moves his head off the center line because Sean's pretty damn accurate with that jab yeah. in those combinations. So, and once if it does hit the ground, I'm going to go with Sean. So, Sean's going to be the that long, lanky body style. The Eddie Alvarez already talked about it, man. <laughs> it's hard to do. It sucks. Yeah. Sucks to have to fight those guys. So... All right, last one. Last one. We got to go with Ponzinibbio versus Jeff Neal. I think it's even right now. Minus 115. It is. It is. But, John, you just brought it up. I know. You just brought it up. We were just talking about this. He just got a DWI last week. Kind of says where you want to go. Yeah, where's your mind? What are you doing? Um, How much of that is on your mind going into the fight now? Because you're, you're facing weapons charges. You're facing... Uh, DWI, you're facing whatever it is you're facing. You know you have to deal with that after the fight. Your mind's not probably on the fight. I would I would probably put the money down for sure on Ponce and Nebio. Yep. You know, might as well. I mean, it's even odds of minus 115, minus 115. Yep. But you take those things in, into consideration. Look, a lot of what bookies do or people that are that are bookies that run or booker runners or whatever you want to call them, they they find the inside scoop, whether it's like in the NFL or the NBA, so-and-so is having a problem with their wife, so-and-so is having custody battles with the kids, so-and-so is, you know, dealing with debt or gambling problems. 
There's a lot on the line. Their mind's not there. Well, Jeff Neal's dealing with some uh, some court issues here coming up, you know, and there's a lot of stuff going through his mind, and not to mention his shape. You know, if you're drinking the week before, getting pulled over, it makes me wonder. So, all right. Well, hey, John, that wraps up our segment of Wayne. In on the odds. In on the odds. I was waiting for you to say it. Wayne in on the odds. And uh, you guys got to remember, go to mybookie.ag. Use that promo code Wayne in. They're going to give you a little extra spending cash. There's also a QR code there attached. So go ahead and uh, hit that up. And you guys. All right. Let's get into pro wrestling tease.com slash Wayne in use that promo code and still I still see everyone on Twitter hitting us with that and still hashtag and I love that thank you guys so much and you guys can choose from any of the plethora of our colored shirts so pro wrestling tease.com slash Wayne in use the promo code and still John I think that kind of wraps us up man we had a great time with Eddie Alvarez absolutely love loved it amazing person bomb ass fighter and very smart in terms of how he handled his business Ash, I love it a lot. I loved having him on. It was great to finally catch up with him. And I'm um, happy for it. What do you got? Living legend. It was awesome to have him on. For everyone out there, enjoy the UFC coming up. I hope you buy the pay-per-view. I hope you support the fighters. And for everyone out there supporting us, thank you so much. You guys giving us tweets, putting us on the list of their best podcasts. God bless you. And we will see you later.